Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. excellence of Japan, the overwhelming talent of the United States. And in a one-run game with two gone in the ninth inning, the dream matchup. Otani, Trout. Swing and a miss. A fastball at 100. A nod from Trout. Otani's ready. Trout's ready. 3-2. He struck him out. Otani strikes out Trout. And Japan's back on top of the baseball world. That's what it sounded like yesterday on Fox Sports 1 alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. Guys, I'm going to be totally honest with you. Full disclosure, I did not think I would get as locked in on the World Baseball Classic as I have been, especially over the last week. And yet here we are. It's one of the coolest events I've seen in my lifetime, especially when you think about what the expectations were going in. We know at the beginning of the NCAA tournament every single season. This is going to live up to expectations. There's always a surprise storyline. There are guys that become superstars by the end of the tournament. It's an annual event that we always know is a part of our sports calendar. The Super Bowl every year, you go into it knowing hey, this is going to be pretty cool. We know going into the Major League Baseball playoffs, this is going to be a big time, a time event. It's a marquee event. The World Baseball Classic has been fun in the past, especially there's been like teams that you fall in love with. The Puerto Rico team in the last one, I I have never had that much fun watching a specific team in a baseball event. This year, though, was about the event as much as it was about any specific team or any specific player, although we're going to get to some of that here in just a moment. The World Baseball Classic was a monumental success for Major League Baseball and for really the sport in general and guys I think that it couldn't have come at a better time think back to this time last year what we were talking about think back to what the last few years have been like in Major League Baseball with the possibility of collusion taking place during the offseason or at least the speculation that maybe it was taking place and then you had the shortened 60 game pandemic season and then you have the lockout it's been a whole lot of nonsensical BS that's taking place off of the field what we just witnessed was a celebration of the on-field baseball product. You couldn't ask for anything more than that. I haven't had that much excitement for something that's not a regular season, like a part of the uh, pro sports schedule since 2010 when Team USA and Team Canada went up in the men's hockey. The overtime Sidney Crosby goal, I remember because I drove from Georgia back to St. Louis, my dad and I, to make sure we were home for that game. 
But that's how excited I was last night for that USA versus Japan. Because in the seventh inning, when Shohei made his slow walk to the bullpen, you knew what was going to happen. It was going to come down to Mike Trout for Shohei Otani to win the game. And it wasn't Shohei versus Trout to tie the game. It was there was a guy on base with two outs and Trout at the plate. That was magical when it comes to the World Baseball Classic. And if you weren't ready for baseball season, guess what? You officially are now. And this is the bad part about it, though, because now I just want playoff baseball. I know. Now I don't want April baseball. No, I really don't want the April, May, and June of playing Cincinnati and Pittsburgh. Imagine being Mike Trout and Shohei Otani and going from <laughs> Gotta go back to this crap to whatever the next six months are going to be like in Los Angeles. But man, I, I mean, I know it's such a cliche saying and you see everybody put it out there, but how can you not be romantic about baseball? I mean, everything about that game worked out perfectly. Team USA looked like they were going to be the hot ones out of the gate. Japan took the lead, held the lead all the way up until the end of the game, but USA made a comeback when Schwarber hit that bomb. It was like it was written as a story for you. And that's where you get excited for baseball. And so props to them for making that. And honestly, I don't say this a lot. Props to Rob Manford for coming out and saying, hey, this will be back in 2026. Yeah, I I fell in love with the WBC early on. Just found an interesting group stage to like see kind of the stories of where all these guys are playing baseball at. And then once you get into those single elimination games, they were just awesome. I mean, it did remind me a lot of what it was like watching the Olympics when it was in Vancouver and you had USA, the TJ Oshie game where he scores in the shootout to beat Russia. Like it was that intense. And then you get what is just something that you only think you'll ever see if you're playing like MLB the show, which is the best pitcher versus the best hitter of his generation going at it against each other on different teams. It was awesome to see. I, I can't commend baseball enough for what they're able to do with the WBC. And it and it, that was saying that the WBC had some of its flaws. You know, some of the best pitchers weren't at this event, yet we still saw how awesome this can be, and it can only go up from here. So I, I commend baseball. It was such a great tournament. They had so many great games, and they put them at the perfect spots, too. The atmosphere for all these games were just awesome along the way. The best part about the tournament, though, is what you brought up, Alex. It was having that last at-bat being what it was. Mm -hmm. Shohei Otani, a complete unicorn in the sport. And this is really the year of Shohei because all season long, there is going to be speculation. Is he going to be traded? If not, where is he going to go in the offseason? What's he going to be able to get in the offseason? I heard Buster only earlier today say on Get Up, could be talking about 500 or 600 million dollars going to Shohei Otani in free agency. And guys, I get it. I totally understand it because you can't create a better baseball player in a lab. That dude last night, what he I mean, he basically won that game for Japan single-handedly. He ended up being the uh, WBC MVP, and for good reason. Here are a few stats from last night's game and really from his performance in the World Baseball Classic at large. Otani had the hardest hit ball of the WBC at 119 miles per hour. He tied for the longest home run in the WBC at 450 feet. He threw the fastest pitch in the WBC at 102 miles per hour. For good measure, when he beat out an infield single in the seventh inning last night, StatCast measured his speed as borderline elite sprint speed. That's absurd to me. When you think about all of the tools that you can have in baseball, you might as well have a picture of Shohei Otani next to them and just say this is the definition of the tools in Major League Baseball. As a hitter, 
He finished the WBC with an on-base percentage above 600 and a slugging percentage above 700. He had four doubles, a home run, in and eight RBIs. And then as a pitcher, because why not, he produced a 1.8 ERA with 11 strikeouts in just over nine innings pitched in the WBC. Oh, by the way, that at bat, let's go back to that against Mike Trout yesterday. This comes from Codify Baseball. If you thought it was rare to see Mike Trout swing and miss three times in a single at bat, it's because it's basically as rare as seeing a comet through the sky. According to Codify Baseball, Mike Trout has swung and missed three times in a single at bat, 24 times in his entire major league career in which he has more than 6,000 career major league plate appearances. So in 6,000 plate appearances, he has swung and missed a total of 24 times when he does it three times in that at bat. It's just remarkable. Like the stuff that we're seeing from Shohei Otani right now, he is the single most talented baseball player I have ever seen. We will never see anything like this again. It's like saying, hey, how can we find the next Patrick Mahomes? How can we find the next Wayne Gretzky? You're not going to. You can try to replicate some of the things that those guys do. Shohei Otani is one of one. And last night, his full talent was on display for all of the baseball world to watch. Someone texted in on the Air Comfort Service text line 314-399-9646. Uh, is it, were you, did you enjoy the World Baseball Classic last night because you enjoyed it or because USA was in it? I don't care who would have been in it because Shohei Otani was in it. And that's where it was. Now, USA made it that much more entertaining for me, but you could have put Mexico up I against was Japan. locked in on Mexico yeah. versus Japan. So it was not because Team USA was in it. If you would have put the best two baseball players in the world, I don't care what countries they were a part of. And you get those guys head to head with the game on the line. Guys, this is what sports is all about. Yeah, I was like, fully locked was... in to finding out how they were going to use Shohei Otani to where he was going to be hitting. And then you were talking about him going into the bullpen and then him coming back out of the bullpen and then going back to the bullpen. I was locked in because you had the greatest players in the game going head to head in a meaningful game for their for their countries. That's the part that had me locked in. And that's what that's what all of these are. Like when they do the World Cup of hockey and when they have the Olympics, that's why I'm always so locked into it because you got you got guys representing their countries that is so meaningful, and that's what that was last night. And I'm glad you said meaningful baseball game because a lot of people view it as kind of an extension of spring training where it's, oh, they're just going, they're kind of going along the motions. And, yes, there are some restrictions on the pitchers. But, no, as we've seen throughout this event, that, that game mattered to Japan. Japan wanted to win their third World Baseball Classic. Shohei Otani wanted to be a part of the reason why they won that. We mentioned it, I think, in the, after the game against Mexico. Have you ever seen Shohei show as much emotion no. as he did in those no. pr- the previous two games for Japan on the run? Guys, I saw Paul Goldschmidt not in that game, but during this tournament, smile. Smile. That's right. Paul Goldschmidt smiled <laughs> and showed emotion. I haven't seen that much energy out of Goldie since he ran out of the dugout in that brawl last season. So, like, th- these were meaningful games. These were playoff games. In fact, these were more intense, as some of the players have said, than a Game 7 of a World Series. That's how much these games matter to these I, I players. I thoroughly and loved watching Team Japan's manager every time they do a camera shot of him because you could tell how intense he was. He was like smacking the thing. He was like crossing his arm. He was way too fidgety for a World Baseball Classic Championship game. If you don't like our opinions on it, here's what Buster only had to say, not just about what he thought of the World Baseball Classic, but how MLB teams are starting to buy in. There'll never be a day when Major League teams are comfortable with the WBC 
because they have so much at stake. The Mets with Edwin Diaz, the Astros with Jose Altuve. But this event in 2023 was so successful, forget it. Uh, moving forward, the teams are just going to have to get used to the idea that their best players are going to go and participate in this event. Rob Manfred told reporters, yes, we'll be back in 2026. And they absolutely should. It should be now in every three years event yep. that just for the rest of time, this is a significant part of the baseball calendar. Here's Jeff Passan on just how impressive the WBC was for fans and for players alike. It's March. The Major League Baseball season hasn't even begun yet, and we're getting baseball of this quality, October caliber baseball. I know when I look back on 2023, I'm going to remember a really great tournament and a really great display of this game. This is something that's going to be, that at-bat will be etched in my mind for the rest of my life. Alex, I mentioned this last night on Twitter. This is the kind of thing that we'll be telling our grandkids about. Yep. Like, it, it's weird that, it's rare that you can say it in the moment, but you knew leading into that at-bat, this is baseball history that we're witnessing right now. Because you're witnessing, at, at, the, pri at the prime of their careers, really, the best player of this, like, decade versus the guy that we think is going to own the next decade. They happen to play on the same team, which means we've never seen it before. And it's taking place in a gold medal game with real stakes on the line. And if Mike Trout does something, it can extend this game. And if Shohei Otani is able to do what he wants to do, game's over and his team wins. And oh, by the way, Shohei Otani is doing this as a two-way player, which is something we haven't seen since Babe Ruth. And he's potentially got more longevity than Babe Ruth had. Babe Ruth was really a pitcher in a meaningful way for like four seasons of his career. Shohei Otani's trying to do this for the length of his career. It's unbelievable, man. It's something that we've never seen before. Final question that I've got for you guys on the WBC. Is this the right time to do it? Because, and the only reason I'm asking this is not because I think it's bad to do it right now. I'm trying to make this thing the greatest possible event that it can be because of how fun it was. Can Major League Baseball do what the NHL used to do, which is put a tournament in this scenario, the WBC, in the NHL scenario, the Olympics, can you, for three weeks or so, pause the Major League Baseball season around the WBC and the All-Star game? Is that possible, do you guys think? You start spring training a little bit earlier. You start the season maybe a little bit earlier. Maybe it ends up being a couple fewer off days throughout the season that you end up having to take. You basically build the WBC into the Major League Baseball season. Do you think that's possible or is it better to just continue doing it at the beginning of the year and we have to accept that there are always going to be a few limitations because of the ramp up period for pitchers? I, I believe it's possible because hockey does it. And I know it's like, what, every four years that they pull this off. So it's not consistently. But to be able to pause for three weeks to get all of those games in when you got an 82-game schedule, and yeah, those schedules suck on the back end of it because you're talking about a lot of back-to-backs, three and four, and you're talking about a lot of wear and tear on the players. But the players are okay with it. They put it into the previous CBA. Now, I don't know what it looks like now, but it's going to cause back and forths between Major League Baseball and the Players Association because MLB is not going to be profiting for those three weeks. But if hockey can pull it off, baseball can pull it off. And I think that would be the opportune time to do it because maybe you're less on the pitch limitations then. I think they could do it, but I don't think they would just because of kind of what you're saying. One, you got to pause the season for three weeks, essentially. When, when you look at the All-Star game, you're making money off the All-Star game. You're showcasing your best players to all your fans, and that's only a week, essentially. You don't have to worry about being gone for three. 
And, and I, I think that's just the biggest hurdle that Major League Baseball would have to come to. And they have to work it out with the other leagues, too. We, we looked it up. The KBO probably wouldn't be that big a deal. You just have to have an agreement with the KBO so the KBO can send over their players. I, I just think right now, I, I think it's good where it is. I, I think you just have to kind of accept the pitch limitations. Maybe as you get into these single elimination rounds, maybe that's where I would hope Major League teams would say, okay, we understand our players. Our players want to pitch like Otani closing out the game. You Darvish in the eighth inning last night probably did not sit well with the San Diego Padres, but they understand because they're competing for their country. So I, I don't think you can put it in the middle of the season. I just think it's too long of a break for three weeks and also just the timing for players that aren't in it too. Like for example, uh, Contreras would have been on his national team but he elected not to do him just kind of being in a batting cage for three weeks. Totally fair. Not probably not something you want to happen for your players. Three, one, four, three, nine, 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 six, four, six is the air comfort service text line. I do think it would open up more opportunities for other major league players for what it's worth. And you could also probably send down a decent number of them to the minors. Those with options. I, I would assume you could basically get a get out of jail free card for that period of time where they could go down to the minors if you wanted them to. Uh, somebody said, guys, hockey plays indoors, baseball plays outdoors. You cannot extend the baseball season any more than it already is. There's some truth to that, but last year you extended it a week yeah. prior or beyond what it is this year. So there's one week that you already know they could play with. You basically need one more. Can you find one more week throughout the baseball season where you extend it? I do think T-Bone's point is a fair one where it's like, Hey, that's great for the guys that are going to the WBC, but for right now, you've got spring training that is taking place, so you at least have a place where everybody else stays fresh. What do you do for that three-week period, really two-weeks period, where those guys are not playing? That does become something that is a bit of a concern. I like it right now because it is kind of a preview. It, It builds up the anticipation for the regular season. I just want to continue growing this thing. Do you guys think every three years is right? I would like four. I, 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 think, I think four, four is better. Be better. Three just feels odd. And maybe that's just because like, I'm used to like four for the Olympics, four for the World Cup. Three just feels different. I, I would prefer four years, but I'm okay with it's three. It's like when you do the volume notch in your car. Like I'm not going to leave it at 17. It's either going to be 18 or 16. The reason I ask is because I've seen a lot of people saying we need more of these. We need it every two years. But then you lose it. I don't it. think we should do that. Yeah. I, I think that you guys are right. I think it's either every three or four. I don't think that you should push your foot down on the throttle any here. Because what you have right now, it it matters more because there is less of it. Sometimes less is more. And in this scenario, I think that is absolutely the case. The WBC 100% a hit, and it gave us one of its uh, lasting memories last night with Mike Trout versus Shohei Otani. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we'll talk to Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues. But next, we will talk about the Blues. Joel Hofer. Once again, performed really well last night, despite the fact that the Blues ended that game with a loss. Has he extended his opportunity here with the Blues, or is he going to be sent down sooner rather than later? We'll talk about that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Oh, up save off the heel of the glove from Hofer. Boy, that was a quick reaction. Glove save right there. Being a shooting and a glove save. Hofer. And as he looked ready for the National Hockey League. 
Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Joel Hofer with another nice night last night. Now, it did not result in the win, but it did get them to overtime and then eventually a shootout where he did everything you could ask for. But eventually, you got to be able to make one of your shootout goals. The Blues didn't do that, and uh, they end up losing in a shootout against the Detroit Red Wings. Alex, you look at the numbers once again, it's... It, better in terms of what they were able to do in front of him to a degree that you had zero offensive zone time. I really don't even think night. it was good defensively for either side. I just think nobody wanted to shoot the puck last night. It was just a bad game overall. If you watched that hockey game over the WBC, I want to personally apologize because <laughs> you did not get as much entertainment in that both. game. Uh, you should have been listening to it right here on 101 ESPN. There it is. That's Ding. really the way that you go about it. So he ends up seeing 24 shots on the night. He ends up seeing 20 scoring chances on the night and eight high danger chances. Did pretty well, I would say, overall against them. Alex, it sounds like Joel Hofer is back on the ice today. So we got a little bit of our answer on this. He's not going to be heading down today. Did he buy himself more opportunities the rest of the way, in your opinion? I think so, um, because the way he's performed, I would rather have him on this team than Thomas Grice on this team. And that's no shot at Thomas Grice. It's just Joel Hofer is going to be in this role next season. And I want to see, uh, and I want to see what he can do moving forward. Now, Joey last night on the broadcast with me on post game, the whole reason that we're bringing this topic up is because Joey said something that really caught me off guard and I had him explain it a little bit. And so it, it is an opportunity. I personally see for Craig Berube and Doug Armstrong to now send him back to the minors. And it's a win-win for both parties. I mean, you get Jordan Bennington back in the net. You want him to start finding his rhythm again. Uh, maybe you get Thomas Grice a couple games down the stretch here. And you allow Joel Hofer to play championship caliber hockey down in Springfield. I can't tell you how important that's going to be for him. If they make the playoffs and they go on a nice little run, just to be in those games, to be in a series, that is going to translate to his game next year at the National Hockey League level, probably more than maybe just coming in and out every now and then at the National Hockey League level. So when he said it, I'm like, really? Because I just don't see a, a scenario of sending Joel Hofer down because even if he's the backup, you could put him in and you could put him out and split time with Jordan Bennington. Frankly, he's going to figure out what it's like to be a backup goaltender for next season. But just to play devil's advocate here and see the other side, what Joe was talking about, because, I mean, Joe talks with the coaches. I can understand the scenario of looking at it saying right now we can't send him down because you pitch a dual shutout with Thomas Grice. You play well against the Washington Capitals. And yes, you didn't. You weren't the reason you lost, but it was a loss. I, I For Joel Hofer, I just want reps right now. And if I'm going down that path, if he's going to split time with Jordan Bennington, you're sitting, you're playing, you're sitting, you're playing, you're sitting, you're playing, which is fine because that's his role next season. But man, right now, I just want Joel Hofer to take that confidence and keep running with it. Maybe he goes down to Springfield and he goes on a run and wins the Calder Cup. Could you imagine the confidence for that kid going into next season where he already knows he's ready for the NHL? But it, it, it's it's a flip of a coin right now for me because the kid is playing so well. But I also would prefer this team to, to lose. I want to see what he looks like up here. I, yeah. I don't think he has anything left to prove down at the AHL level level this season. 2.5 goals against on average and 92% save percentage. He's going to go back down. Like, I, I don't even think that's in question. Eventually, he will be back down with Springfield for their playoff run. That's just not right now. Right now, his job is to learn what it is to be an NHL player. And his job is to learn what he's going to be doing next year, which is basically starting every other game. My guess Jordan Bennington gets the net in the next game against Detroit. 
Jordan Bennington shouldn't just ride the bench the rest of the year. He should be playing every once in a while, maybe every other game. I think that's something approaching what it'll be next year. And then you hope that you have a really good one-two tandem and a real, maybe it's even a 1A-1B type of a tandem between Bennington and Hofer. I don't think this is a scenario where I even consider sending Joel Hofer down until you get to like, maybe Hofer starts on April 12th against Dallas. And then it is a back-to-back that next night, Jordan Bennington gets the start. You send Hofer down and that's when he gets his uh, prep for the AHL postseason. I would not be sending him down right now. I would want him to get another five or six starts the rest of the way for the Blues. I guess my question is, what? Are, and I know it doesn't matter, but what do they view the role for Thomas Grice? Because if they want to None. get him starts, and maybe that's true. But- there is zero reason why you should feel any sort of necessity in getting Thomas Grice a single start the rest of the way. Agreed. Zero reason. But I... I- from Doug Armstrong's perspective or Craig Berube's perspective, are they going to want to get him a start? Why? Don't know why, but because he's on the roster, maybe you want to give him Don't a care. start. That's where I get. Of, thanks for everything you did for us this year. You gave us 20 games, 20 play, uh, 20 games played, 16 starts for us. We appreciate everything you did. We compensated you accordingly. I completely That's why get it. And we can go go our separate ways in the offseason. But he's on the roster, and I'm just concerned that they're going to look at it and say, well, let's get him a start in there once again. And if that's the case, that's where I look at it and be like, just put Holford out in the minors. Let him play. But, I mean, if, if you do that, you're tanking, which is not necessarily a bad thing. That's <laughs> very true. That's what I was going to mention. I, I think That's if another you, point of it is of sending them down, too. If you are going to send Hofer down and you are going to say, oh, well, we want to start Grice, who has basically lived out the basically the length of his deal, essentially, the one-year deal, and has served his purpose, you are essentially telling the fans and telling the National Hockey League, yeah, Hofer's too good for us right now. We have to send him down. And, and that again, is a fair thing to say. I'm not saying they are wrong in doing so, but that's the only, there is no other reason why you give a single start the rest of the way to Thomas Grice. Other, and this is not a shot against Thomas Grice. He's just not as good as your other two goalies right now. The only reason you do that is because you're saying, we want to lose this game. And if that's the case, you won't hear them say that. It will be the, well, we want him to go get more reps. Ipso facto, we're sending him down because we, right now he's too good for us. To that point, though, on the minor leagues, getting him starts in a playoff scenario sure he can gain stuff from that from going down in the ahl and playing the playoffs when this nhl season is done correct sending him down right now will gain him nothing at the ahl level because he's proven he can play there the only reason to send him down there is to continue to get the reps in the playoffs sending him down before that he can learn much more here at the nhl level even as a guy that's going to be going off and on off and on or sitting the bench with jordan bennington and working with the nhl goalie coach rather than playing in the AHL. He has nothing left to prove or learn in the AHL. I will say this, just in terms of his play, and I mentioned this earlier this season, and I talked to Panger about this on pregame a couple of games ago. Guys, I hate to make this comp already because he's 22 years old, but he looks like Ben Bishop out there. Moves the puck really well with his stick. His glove hand is about as active as you can ask for, and the dude is so big. Like, for how easy some of those shootout saves were for him was because he took up way too much of that net. And if that's the case, this is going to be really intriguing because to know that your one-two punch of Bennington and Hofer for the next, at minimum, two years for when Hofer's one-way contract is up, I mean, you don't have to worry about goaltending for 82 games, which is an awesome thing to have if you're a team retooling. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. want to talk about all of that with Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, and I want to get his thoughts on the, uh, the, the video tribute for David Perron last night. 
How's Perron going to be remembered? I obviously incredibly fondly, but to put in perspective of that, Kerber called every game that he was here in St. Louis for. Uh, how's he going to remember David Perron's time here in St. Louis? We'll talk to Curves about that next here on 101 ESPN. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. We're going out to the Brown and Crib and Celebrity Line to be joined by the voice of the blues, Chris Kerber, here on 101 ESPN. You can follow him on Twitter at his name, at Chris Kerber. Appreciate his time as always. Curbs, how you doing today, man? Brandon, doing well. How are you guys? Uh, doing very well. Let's start out with the obvious from last night. It was a very nice reception for David Perron as he made his return here to St. Louis uh, Curbs, I'm going to leave this a little open-ended for you, but you have watched basically every moment of David Perron here in St. Louis and his time with the Blues. How do you think he's going to be remembered when we get five, ten years down the road and you're able to talk to your kids about it and you're talking to your grandkids 20 years from now? How are you going to remember David Perron's career here in St. Louis? Uh, I, th- I think it's obviously going to go, you start with a Stanley Cup champion. You talk about a player that started his career with the Blues, wanted to come back not once but twice, uh, loved the city, understood the history, uh, connected with, uh, with with some of the, the great alumni like Bobby Plager, understood what the franchise means to the city and someone that fell in love with the city. I, I eventually see David Perron as a Blues Hall of Famer, and, uh, and, and it's going to be a great moment. The, the reception he had last night was as good a reception and I've, as I've seen any player get since I've been with the Blues. It was really impressive. The, the cheer in the crowd was so loud you couldn't hear the audio from the video board, and and it lasted and it went longer. But what also really stood out to me was every single Blues player coming off the bench to to acknowledge him. And, and to me, that was a, another really cool moment. So... There's standout moments of just respect between a player and a and a fan base, and I thought Joe Vitale put it best. And I know I'm going to paraphrase, but when he when he mentioned it, look, you bring your work boots and you bring your passion, and and you find success in this town, and it's such a great sports town. The fans will love you, and they, they have had a great relationship with David Perron, and I think it's one that will stand the test of time. 
Curb, speaking of effort, there was a play last night by Colton Pareko that really stuck out to me. And Joe and I broke it down on postgame. But I, I am curious your thoughts. Pareko makes a great defensive play in his own zone, then goes the length of the ice all the way into the offensive zone, cross-checks a player down so that he can get to the front of the net for a scoring chance. Yes, he took a penalty, but man, that was a difference-maker moment there for Colton Pareko. And we've seen this trend now, I believe, since the, the, the San Jose Sharks game prior to the trade deadline. Yeah, you know what? I, I, I think the pressure's off, which helps with uh, certain players on this team right now. You play that loose. How many times have the Blues been like the team with the the target on their back and you're playing a team that doesn't have anything to really play for but pride and they're those dangerous teams to play, right? Well, the Blues are finally one of those teams playing for pride that are becoming that dangerous team to play. Uh, and, and in doing so, you, you hope that some of the vibe and some of the style that some of these guys are realizing right now is what they take into the offseason and then bring into them in, into next season with. Colton's had a challenging year. So many players on this Blues team have had a challenging year from a confidence standpoint, and I thought Craig Berube addressed it well with Grant's question yesterday, and, and he talked about it just being a mindset. But you're seeing Alex in, in, in times when you're seeing this guy as a player that, to me, uh, you know, is, is why there's that value and why I didn't see the Blues being willing to let him go at the trade deadline. You know, there's another thing. To, I, I just I keep going to this. You know, the first eight years of Jay Bollmeister's career, he didn't make the playoffs. And go look at some of the offensive numbers comparing the two. You know, you're talking about a guy in Josh Morrissey who has jumped onto the Norris Trophy scene and this year and, and getting no recognition, even thought of a Norris Trophy prior. He's in his eighth year. Alex Petrangelo won a Stanley Cup with the Blues as in his 10th year. Colton Pareko's in his eighth year. I mean, I, I still just believe there's room to continue to grow and, and, and figure it out, and, and he's doing that. In the meantime, he's still averaging 23, 24 minutes a game and, 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 and playing some pretty good hockey, you know, for the most part. So, uh, yeah, it's been a challenge in your confidence-wise, but you see that player that we've seen lately a lot more often, people are going to be going, whoa, that's the guy. You know, and, you know, and it wouldn't surprise me if we find out somewhere down the line here that Colt Pareko – uh, has an opportunity to represent uh, to represent Team Canada at the, at the World Championships because the Blues are out of the playoffs. Chris Kerber is the voice of the Blues. He's joining us here on 101 ESPN. Kerbs, we've had the opportunity to watch a little bit of Joel Hofer over the last few games here in St. Louis, and I've liked what we've seen. What is there not to like, honestly? 96% save per- percentage so far. Uh, that You don't expect that to sustain, but you like what you're seeing between the pipes from him. What do you think the plan is with Joel Hofer the rest of the year? Do you keep him up, give him some opportunities up here in the NHL? Do you uh, want to send him back down to get the opportunity to be a part of the team in the AHL as they're pushing for the postseason? What do you think the plan is with Joel Hofer in your mind? I, I think, Brandon, it's going to be a little bit of both. And what I've also liked with this team is how, because they've had that young goaltender in, how they've put a little extra focus in defending the middle of the ice. That's been a real noticeable difference. Uh, but, uh, look, Joe Hofer has come up and done exactly what you would hope he would. Come in, look comfortable, look good, give the team a chance to win, uh, play extremely well, you know, and and now at, at the same time, okay, keep in mind, but think of the, the teams that he's played here, you know, and, and put that into perspective. So always keep keep the sample size and the opponents in, in, in check here. But I 
I don't hang that on the goalie. I think he's done a terrific job. The best part, the best part of this story is he was called up under emergency conditions, which means as soon as Bennington is ready, they'd have to go back down. So they kind of essentially had to take him off emergency and use one of their regular recalls to keep him here, and he earned it. So to me, this is this makes sense. They've got Hofer up here. They're giving him a chance to get a taste of the National Hockey League. They're giving him an opportunity to see what it's going to be like, a little more travel, you know, with the team. Uh, they gave him a home start, couple of you know, a couple of them, which is fantastic. And uh, and then he will eventually be going down to Springfield at some point in time to carry the load for that team down there and get that more experience. But what you're seeing, and the exciting part is, because he's under a one-way contract for next year, you're seeing the future of the St. Louis Blues with that goaltending tandem of Bennington, who's, who's what, second most starts of anybody in the NHL this year, and, and Hofer, and you got to think, man, you're going into a retool and a slight rebuild. When you've got goaltending, you're going to give yourself a chance. Because if you look at the Edmonton Oilers, look at the Toronto Maple Leafs, Go back and look at the St. Louis Blues in the early 2000s. You know, having the goalie makes all the difference in the world, and that is a huge thing. You've got to be really excited for where this team is in that position over the next upcoming couple of years. Curb, speaking of that retool, I, I remember Doug Armstrong speaking after the trade deadline and them talking about the upcoming offseason and him saying, you know, with Buchnevich at center, it'll give us an opportunity to be flexible and maybe if we need to find that centerman or a winger in the offseason to fill out that top nine. I, I know there are still 12 games left and Buchnevich has played pretty much every game since then at the center spot, but in your opinion, do you feel like that you're leaning more towards a centerman in the off season or a winger in the off season. Well, he's played seven straight games now in that center position. Uh, he's studying faceoffs. He's working with Steve Ott. In my opinion, this really comes down to a conversation uh, as you get down the stretch here. And as you finish out this season between Pavel, Craig Berube and Doug Armstrong, if the player's committed to learning center and playing center, then you can have that flexibility of going for a winger. If you really get the sense that he's not on board, he's going to be better on the wing, then I think you're going and looking for a centerman. So I think I, I don't know that you have an answer to that, Alex, yet. I think you're still just trying to let this play itself out and then use the input of the player to help you determine that. Curbs, we appreciate the time as always. We'll be looking forward to talking with you again next week. Enjoy your time up in Detroit. Enjoy this upcoming road trip as well. All right, guys. Have an awesome week. Talk to you next week. Thanks for adjusting today. Same to you. That is Chris Kerber, the voice of the blues here on 101 ESPN. Always appreciate his time here on the show. Uh, We'll have a little bit more time to talk about this maybe at length tomorrow, Alex. But I did want to just briefly bring up the the point on David Perron. I, I think he might be among the three most revered players when we look back on this thing, you know, 20 years from now from that Stanley Cup team. I think the trio might be, at least in my mind, you tell me if you disagree with this, I think it might be to end up being Ryan O'Reilly, David Perron, Alex Dean. To me, in terms of fan appreciation, fan love, like admiration, adoration, do, I think those will probably like, be Are you three. talking about players that have gone on either retired no. or other teams or just in general? In general. Because you could, you could maybe add Vladdy, but I think there are some... I would put Bennington up dueling, there. I think Bennington, I, I, I believe Bennington is going to be viewed... I don't know. I, I would put Bangs up there because, I mean, he's of always, those three that I just mentioned. I would put him probably above Alexander Steen, and I love Alexander Steen, but 
of the Hall of Fame caliber goaltenders you've had in St. Louis, Curtis Joseph, Grant Fuhrer, Mike Liute, um, I mean, geez, you go all the way back to the beginning with Glenn Hall, and Jordan Bennington's the one to do it and put up numbers that nobody had done up until that time. I, I believe that when Bennington's time is done in St. Louis, whether he retires here or he just fulfills his contract, he will be getting an ovation the way that David Perron got an ovation so. last night. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think that, like, he was one that I took under consideration. I want to be clear here because, like, I think there are a couple other guys that you could throw into the mix in that t- upper echelon. Like, Alex Petrangelo would be in that mix for the upper echelon. I think Vladimir Tarasenko. I think you will eventually see Jordan Bennington. Like, you've got a lot of good options on this list. That entire team is going to be beloved forever. I mean, Pat Maroon is a guy that yeah. came to mind to, for me of guys that are beloved in this community. But because of the time, like the, the length of time that David Perron had as a um, love affair between he and this fan base. And I do think eventually he's going to be one of like the public figures for the St. Louis Blues. I think there's some there's something to that. There is there is a tie that he has in this community because of how I, I, don't, I can't even explain it. Really, I can't describe it. There's just something about his tie with St. Louis that is a little different than really anybody else on that team. It's just so hard because like every single player had a moment in that playoffs that like even Joel Edmondson is going to be remembered and Carl Gunnarsson with the, uh, the boom, boom Gunnarsson urinal game. But if I were to put the three, it would be Bennington, Petro and O'Reilly. Really? Yeah. Over Perron? Yeah. Just because Petro... I would definitely have Perron in my top three. I would have Perron. I, I agree with the first two, Benner and Petro. I mean, Petro was the captain, so I, I think don't he always gets do. remembered for that. Petro's going to be remembered I for being the captain. I think him leaving is part of it. That, well, and that's I, why I, I think thought it doesn't matter in terms of the leaving, because I think Petro would have been here. I, I think Petro wanted to be here, and I think that's the difference. I think a lot of Blues fans look at that being a yeah. Doug Armstrong decision, not and him that's the wanting out like Vladdy. I think there's some truth mm-hmm. to that, but I'm not... Like I talk to some people that are just whether it be casual blues fans or whatever, I and some of them say he could have stayed, and that that could be wrong or or right. It doesn't much matter. Like that's just the opinion on it. Um, I think Vladdy has some of that where there's some some torn opinions on it because of the trade request and all of these different things. Uh, and his style of play uh, doesn't resonate with everybody the same way that like a, a Ryan O'Reilly. Everybody loves the way that Ryan O'Reilly plays. Like yeah. what's there not to love about it? Um, I think there's a few of those guys that are in that. Yes or no category. I think Perron is a everybody loved that guy. The, the third everybody. one, the third one that's debatable is Petro because O'Reilly and Bennington, I think, are in my opinion untouchable. And then it just comes down to who that third one is. Coming up in about fifteen minutes or so, would you rather have the Cardinals questions or the questions that some of these other National League contenders are having to answer this year? We'll talk about that coming up at the top of the hour. Questions and answers three one four three nine 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 six four six is the Air Comfort Service text line coming up next. You're on one hundred one ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text 314-399-9646. PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by James Carlton with State Farm. Have drivers under 25 on your insurance? Save hundreds of dollars a year with CarltonInsurance.net. 
questions and answers. This one comes from the 314. Guys, I was curious how you feel about Jack Flaherty not being happy with the media constantly asking him about his velocity. I think it's overplayed. How do you guys feel about it? Again, that comes from the 314. Alex, I don't know if you saw the comments yesterday, but Jack Flaherty after his start where it was up and down, uh, he got hit around a decent amount. Just overall wasn't a great start for Jack Flaherty uh, as a tune-up going into the regular season. Velocity was down a bit, but really not too much. It was closer to where he's wanted wanted to be so far. Well, how, how do you feel about that? I, I mean, is Jack Flaherty ever happy with the media asking sure. questions to him? Like, nah, he whines a lot. They're they're Whoa. just there are That's some true. There are some players that just don't like the media. And I don't really care because you're going to have to answer the questions. That comes with the territory of being a pro athlete. And if your velocity is down, then you're going to get asked that question. And if you're upset about it, great. Answer the question and move on. I don't really care about that. I care about the performance. And guess what? If you're pissed off that they keep asking you about the velocity, well, the more your velocity is up and down, the more you're going to get that question. So either answer it so that they don't ask you or figure it out so they stop asking you. Yeah, I, I didn't read too much into the comments. I, I mean, I, I was looking more at his performance more than anything, and it was a shaky outing, to say the least. I mean, yes, he did have some swing and miss, but he was hit around quite a bit. So, And a guy coming off of back-to-back years where he's dealt with significant injuries, yes, you're going to be asked about the velocity. To Alex's point, just answer the question. If you don't like it, get your velocity back up where it belongs. And it's not like he's a aging player like Adam Wainwright, who it's like, okay, I can kind of understand, yes, Velo is going to naturally dip the longer you're in the majors. He's still in the prime of his career, and it's shoulder issues that have been bothering him. Yes, I understand the need to ask him about his Velo. The funny thing is yesterday the Velo was actually fine. Uh, Previously, it was a bit of a concern earlier in the spring, but yesterday was pretty much where you expect it to be going into the regular season. It was about where it was last year. Um, So I... I think that's part of what he was frustrated about is, hey, I'm where I need to be, and you guys continue asking me despite the fact that I'm finally getting it back up there. I I get to a degree why he's frustrated. I think it's more he's frustrated with his lack of success than it was that he's frustrated with the question type of a thing. And I will be honest with you guys. I say all the time spring training doesn't matter, but it does for certain guys more than others. Jack Flaherty has made four starts. He's gone a total of 16 innings. He's given up in those 16 innings. 22 hits. Four walks, two home runs. He has 14 strikeouts. Hasn't been a great spring training so far for Jack. And the reason why I wanted to bring this up is because here's a question that I have for the two of you. If Jack Flaherty ends up just being a middle of the rotation starter, where it's fine, he is definitely like a legit three or four in a good rotation, but he is not the number one that people have been hoping for. What does that mean for the Cardinals? It means you're not going past the wild card. Because your offense is going to have to carry you in the postseason, and we've seen this offense not be able to carry you in the postseason. So if if my if one if two of Miles Michaelis, Stephen Matz, and Jordan Montgomery are better than Jack Flaherty, you're going to have to make a significant trade at the deadline. Otherwise, it's going to be wild card and out. I, it definitely limits the ceiling for them. I, I don't know if I'll go as far as wild card and out because. I understand your point on the offense. I think the offense is going to be a different story this year because I think this offense is going to be Said better than it was last year. year. Too. But last year, like I looked at that lineup last year and I went, okay, it's Goldie, it's Arnado, it's Pujols. Yeah, but we were ecstatic about Brendan Donovan. I know at the top of the lineup, but like I look at the lineup this year. I mean, we're talking about one through nine or one through probably seven is going to be 
great. I mean, you're talking about if O'Neal bounces back and he's looked really good in the two hole. If you've got or Newt Bar in the two hole, who's looked good as well. Plus, you've got Contreras is new to the lineup. You've got Jordan Walker, who could be hitting like sixth or seventh. Like, I think the lineup will be deeper. I, I do think it will limit them still in the postseason. Though I don't know if it'd be wild card and out. It might be divisional round and out, but. It definitely means if Jack Flaherty is a middling pitcher, they have to go get somebody at the trade deadline. And I'll be honest, I don't know if someone's going to be available for them to go out there and if they're willing to meet that price. Shohei, man. I think that's the biggest that's thing. That's not him. Is Lars. I, I think that the biggest question for the Cardinals this year is, can you get that number one starter internally? And if not, can you go get them at the trade deadline? The hope is that Jack Flaherty, I think he's really the only guy on your roster right now that has the potential to be a number one. And if he doesn't become that guy, you need to go find one because this is a team that's capable of winning the World Series with the offense that they have. You just need to be able to stack up pitching wise with the other teams. And Jack is the guy that allows that to happen. If he's not going to be it, it definitely changes the ceiling for the team. I mean, think about it. Last year, you had Miles Michaelis pitching as close to a number one as possible. Jordan Montgomery in the second half was doing that as well. The difference, though, with with Michaelis, and I know people don't want to hear it because they like the way that he pitches. He is a pitch maker, not a thrower. I get all of that. I understand your frustration with what I'm about to say, but it's true. What I'm about to say is 100% valid, and you can talk to baseball people. They will agree with me here. He doesn't have the strikeout stuff, and that means he's not a legitimate number one. But what I'm saying is, but what I'm saying is, he pitched as close to a number one as possible. Jordan Montgomery was doing that in the second half, and you didn't have Jack Flaherty, or the Jack Flaherty that you had was around that, you know, four or five guy. If all you're going to get out of him is a three, then your offense is going to have to be significantly Absolutely. better than what it was if you want to go anywhere. In fact, I don't think it matters what your offense does because I don't think that that rotation is good enough. Yeah. I, if you don't have a legitimate number one, I don't think you can win a World Series given how loaded this National League I, is. I think you could win a World Series, but I think it comes down to, like, you know how we talk in NHL playoffs a lot. It's always about we need some puck luck along the way. This would be you need, like, baseball luck along you the way. You need to average like, six runs I was every gonna say, I don't know you're getting baseball luck in this. No, no, I, what I mean by that is, like, some of these balls that are hit – end up being outs like Michaelis's ERA like last year is an example of yeah he ran into a lot of like good luck last year sure when 20 was I think it was 2018 when he had the ERA above four yeah he still he was the same guy I mean nothing really changed the only difference was he just ran into a little bit more of unluck where runners are scoring because there's balls getting hit. And what I'm saying out. is when you get into this National League, the way that it's set up right now, you're not going to be lucky enough to be able to get through with this pitching staff without having a legit number one at the front. Unless end more guys just, get injured. And the other thing that's important here, I'm also taking into, into account what your bullpen is right now. This bullpen is not dominant enough to make up for the lack of a great pitching staff and they don't have a great pitching staff right now coming up in about 15 minutes or so we'll play a game of more likely to happen 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line you give us two scenarios we'll tell you which one is more likely but next would you rather have the cardinals questions or some of these other national league questions around the contenders we'll talk about it next year on 101 espn when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. That's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. So Jeff Passan had a really good piece earlier today over on ESPN.com, and he's just breaking down basically the, the entire major league, each roster, what he's expecting from them. But one thing he did with it is who the season hinges upon. So one player, one situation that the season hinges upon for each respective team. For example, with the Cardinals, he said the season hinges upon Jack Flaherty. No surprise here. Said one of the most talented pitchers in baseball, the 27-year-old has thrown just 114 innings over the last two seasons. He is set to hit free agency after this year and could not only pitch himself into a nine-figure deal, but could also make the Cardinals into an extremely dangerous team when they get to October this year. So, Alex, I did want to ask you, with playing off of that question that the Cardinals have, which is basically, do they have a legitimate number one Uh, starter and if so is his name Jack Flaherty how does that in your mind compare to some of the other questions for the National League contenders like would you rather have that question with the Cardinals or these questions that I'm about to get to do you understand the parameters of this game he's asking because he knows if we don't he's going to get very angry with us T-Bone so I believe I believe we understand the premise but don't be upset if we get confused totally fair I'm in a good mood today I'll I'll try not to it's like playing mousetrap you know like sometimes (laughs) it takes you a while to figure out how the game actually works when I play uh, some games with my three year old nephew sometimes he's like no i win (laughs) no you didn't that's a fun game to play here and you're not winning right now big daddy reference that t-bone doesn't get what kind (laughs) of game is this i I win win. it's a great game i can't say the rest of it yeah i'll get fired uh all right would you rather have the cardinals question or this mets question that jeff passon poses for them don't get angry with me. Okay. So we're sticking with the question for the Cardinals of do they have a legit oh, on, yes. You don't get the game. I'm just, I'm just clarifying because I feel like there's more questions for this Cardinals team, but okay. <laughs> yeah, that's Let's the one go. we're utilizing. Hop aboard. Would you rather have that question or the question of this? The season hinges upon Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer. Here's what he wrote. Verlander's 40. Scherzer is 38. No team has ever relied so heavily upon two starting pitchers that are this age. The defiance of father time has defined their careers, and if they can continue it in 2023, it's going to be an awfully fun summer in Queens. Would you rather have the question that the Cardinals are facing or the question that the Mets are facing trying to defy father time? Yeah, I'll take the Mets question every damn day of the week. Like, did you see Justin Verlander? The He's the 40-year-old. Uh, did you see him pitch against the Cardinals this spring training? Yeah, that's pretty good. What, you have 11 strikeouts and four innings? I don't even think that's mathematical possible. I'll take that question every damn day of the week because I don't care what they do in the regular season. Make sure they're good to go for the postseason. I would take the Mets question as well because those guys are just so dominant and we've seen it. There are a handful of players that always are somehow able to defy father time. Like look at Tom Brady, for example, different sport, but he never really had a year to where like, oh man, that's awful. Verlander and Scherzer, I, I think are those kind of guys. Yeah, uh, I would rather have the Mets question. I'll take that every day of the week. <laughs> I'll take the these guys are aces as long as they're healthy question uh, over the we haven't seen this guy pitch like an ace in three years. But when he did, boy, hey, was it fun. Get into the playoffs in June and then shut them down for two months and make sure they're healthy, healthy for September I mean, and that's October. That's basically what they've been doing with Jacob DeGrom. 
DeGrom for the last like seven years. And when they're healthy, it works. 100%. All right. The Dodgers question, according to Jeff Passan, is this. Julio Arias, he's the guy that the season hinges upon for the L.A. Dodgers. He adds, with Clayton Kershaw nearing the end of his career, Dustin May coming back for his first post-Tommy John season surgery, uh, and Tony Gonsolin starting the season on the I.L., you also have Noah Syndergaard hoping to recapture his past quality. The Dodgers' rotation is a serious question mark. Urias' important uh, import comes with added pressure this year, though. If he performs up to his standard, he could land a deal worth $250 million as a 27-year-old free agent this winter. Would you rather have the Cardinals' question or the Dodgers' season hinging upon Julio Urias, but really this rotation as a whole? I feel like they're the same question, but yeah. I would rather take the Cardinals' question because if you lose Jack Flaherty or if he doesn't pitch to the performance that you need him to, you did that last year and you were good. And now you've got a Steven Matz who's healthy. you got a couple more guys in the minors that you can rely upon, a full season of Jordan Montgomery. Even if Jack Flaherty falters, I would trust the rotation behind that rather than the Dodgers. Uh, I mean, you're trying to put together a broken man right now. It feels like you're playing the game of operation with Dodgers rotation. So I'll take the Cardinals questions. I would take the Cardinals question as well, just because I, I think when you look at that Dodgers rotation, there are so many question marks. And look, I do have a fair amount of question marks with the Cardinals rotation, but to Alex's point, I know those guys are actually good. I know what they are when right. When I look at that Dodgers rotation outside of Urias and Kershaw, but Kershaw's been kind of falling apart. He's not yeah. been graceful Kershaw, with father you get time. Like one good month out of the year. But like I, I don't think Gonsolin's the guy he was last year. Noah Syndergaard, I don't know if he'll ever be the guy he was when he was with the New York Mets. So I would much rather have the Cardinal question of, hey, do you have an ace? Rather than, hey, do we really have a pitching staff? Yeah, that's the one that I'm at, or that, that's the side that I'm on as well. So far, we're we're really boring. We've agreed on both of these, uh, and I think that's going to continue with this third Start one. Start changing your damn mind, man. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll go on the other side yeah. just to play the, the other side. The Brewers. Would you rather have the Cardinals question of Jack Flaherty or the Brewers question of Freddie Peralta? According to Jeff Passan, the Brewers season hinges upon Peralta, and here's why. With Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff, the Brewers have as solid of a top two starters as any team in Major League Baseball. When Peralta was at his best in 2021, they won 95 games in the NL Central crown. These hinge picks can be tough, but for a team with up-in-the-air playoff aspirations, Peralta is among the most obvious. Would you rather have the Cardinals hinging upon Jack Flaherty or the Brewers hinging upon Freddie Peralta, Alex? This is where BK is going to get angry with me because I'm a little confused by this. So, like, the, the Brewers' biggest question is a third pitcher in their rotation. Uh, I'll take the Cardinals' question yeah. because I don't think uh, Freddie Peralta makes a freaking difference with Milwaukee <laughs> because their offense isn't any good. Uh, their bullpen is one guy strong, at least in my opinion, although I know they got a couple of other guys that you can rely upon. And, like, Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff's great, but... Can everything else overcome the fact that two out of every five starts, you'll probably win because of the pitching duel? I'll take a Jack Flaherty question any day of the week. Yeah, I I think I would take the Cardinals question, but I, I think it's a lot closer than you guys expect. What? What? The reason I say that is because... This is where he gets angry. The reason what? I say that is because I don't think Freddie Peralta is that much of a difference maker on the Brewers season. I, I think if he struggles... Burns and Woodruff can kind of mask that problem. They almost did it last year and got into the playoffs. And, and let's be and honest. I think their offense will be better this year than it was last year. And that's not saying much because their offense last year was I also was think pitiful. their defense is going to be a decent amount worse than it yeah, was Yeah, I was going to say, that's going to be bad. Uh, but I, I, that's why I kind of hesitate on how I want to answer that because that would be essentially like saying, you know, do I think Miles Michaels is the difference between the Cardinals making the playoffs and the Cardinals 
missing. No, I, I think the Cardinals rotation could like mask that. It's just the way that the Cardinals question is of Jack Flaherty. So I guess I, I, I actually, you know what? I'm changing my mind on the fly. I would rather have the Brewers question because you have two aces than I would have the Cardinals question where it's do we even have one? And yes, I understand the Brewers rotation. We got MVPs over is, here, bro. Yeah. Did you just draw him? Yeah. He's out here talking about two aces. Look at their lineup. Do you know who's hitting third or fourth for them this year? Yeah, Three Rowdy Dallas. Telez and yeah, William like Contreras and Jesse Winker is the middle of their lineup. That's Get not the bad. Bleep out of here, dude. dude. Ke- That's Keston, not bad. Keston Hure is probably going to be playing second base for them this year. That's, That's not going to be pretty. But no, I, I would much rather have a, two aces. Because we're just going off of this one question, not how the but team you, is built. But you have to win every game two to one. That's fine. I I think I think if you have two aces, fine, but not realistic. If you have two aces, I think if you're able to get into the playoffs, you are much more dangerous than a team Terrible. that doesn't have any. But you can't get to the playoffs if everything else sucks. I think they can, I think the Brewers could still be a playoff team. Would this you? Year. Do you think that these players that I'm about to mention would oh, make the Cardinals roster? Would make the roster? Oh God! If you, you say Rowdy Telez, you mention a backup catcher. The answer is yes. Garrett Mitchell. He is apparently their starting center fielder going into the <laughs> I don't even season. know who that is. <laughs> he is, according to the Fangraphs depth chart, their seven-hole hitter. He's got to be better than, like... He's got to be better than Taylor Motter. So, no, sure, I'll put him on the list. The, I'm going off of the question. Taylor's you are changing of, the rule of your own I know, game. I know. I'm just... Play along because with if me we're here doing, for a second. if we're doing this as the whole team, then yes, I would much rather have the Cardinals. Hey, man, why are you getting angry? Because he's changed the rule of his game and he gets <laughs> upset when we when we ask questions. No, it's a fair point. I've definitely changed the rules on you. Like, I'm moving the goalposts, whatever metaphor that you want to use. I, I did that here. But just play along Come with on, me on my going. new this will game be here for a second. Garrett Mitchell, would he make the Cardinals roster? The answer is no. Brian Anderson, previously with the Miami Marlins, would he make the Cardinals roster? No. Because he's apparently starting in their outfield. He wouldn't make it as a starter. Could he take like Modern Rule? All maybe. these guys could be 26th men, but not making the roster. Bryce Tarang. You made that up. That sounds like a, the Tang juice I used to drink. He is their starting second baseman, apparently, going into the oh, season. Must That's be their seven, eight, nine spots right now. It is not a good situation for the Milwaukee Brewers when it comes to their offense because. If they don't get positive answers on Jesse Winker and Rowdy Telez, their offense is a problem, dude. Like, they have three guys that they can really count upon. And then other than that, it's like the Cardinals from like three or four years ago, really, where you feel pretty good about the pitching, but man, this offense is a serious question mark. And if they get any sort of injury, bad luck this year, oh, buddy, Brewers are in trouble. They could end up being like an 80-win team instead of a 90 And that's why I don't this see this round. team being a playoff team, even with Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff. I Again, I, I don't think the Brewers are a team that I would take over the Cardinals. And if it was any other different question, like honestly, I think the question that should have been asked from the Brewers is, is any of these like five guys we're going to name in their lineup, are they going to actually perform this year? Then I would take the Cardinals. But that's if you what, told me, you know what? That's what I'm doing. I'm changing the question from Jeff well, Passan because he my answer to the Cardinals. <laughs> because if it if it is if it is just a question of hey, this team is going to win or lose based on Freddie Peralta, oh well, then I would totally take that because that's a number three starter. If the Cardinals' fate of their season relied on Miles Michaelis and they had two aces, they had Max Scherzer and like Justin Verlander. Oh, okay. Then yeah, I don't care. Then then I feel really good about our shot. But when you take the team as a whole. And you're talking about their offense as a whole? Yeah, you're bleeped. But that wasn't the question, was it? It was about how does this question compare to the Cardinals? You know I rest what? my case. I agree with I agree with Tanner. Tanner's right. Good God, this was awful. Jeff Passan was the problem here. All right, a few pieces of well, news to pass along. 
from Jim Thomas, according to him, Craig Burby just mentioned to the media that Tory Krug is not going to be accompanying the team to Detroit, not because of any sort of an injury, but because he's going to stay back with his wife and their newborn child. They're then going to rejoin the team uh, in California. So first of all, congratulations to Tory Krug on the birth of his child. Um, he and his wife will be staying back here while the Blues are in Detroit. Makes some sense. You can... I would assume get Callie Rosen back into the lineup for this one, Alex, since Tucker is down. I would yeah, I would imagine. He's probably going to be the one that mm-hmm. ends up getting That's that why they sent Tucker down, because they've looked at it as we're going to play Borch the rest of the season, give Callie Rosen reps, and Tucker can go be a number one D. Uh, Craig Berube also said that he has not made a decision on the starting goalie for Thursday. Do you just go back to Hofer? I mean, typically in this scenario where it's, you're playing the same team back to back, you would like if you were trying to win still, you go to Jordan Bennington in this spot. I, but do you give consideration to Hofer? Yes, you consider it because he's played great in all three games. And if he's here, he should be playing. And I also wonder if they look at this because Bennington has played a ton of games this season. And let's kick it back a little bit. The, the reason he probably hasn't made a decision is because uh, he knows Bennington's going to be fighting so that he can get the net. And he should fight to get the net because... The way you approach this is Bennington goes Thursday, Hofer Saturday, Bennington Sunday. But frankly, I would love to see if they go Hofer tomorrow, Bennington on Saturday. Give Hofer an opportunity to play against the L.A. Kings. Let's see what this kid's really made of. And, and to your point on typically you probably would switch up your goaltender because that way you're not seeing the same guy. Honestly, I would go back to Hofer because you want to talk about a good kind of showcase potentially. Yeah. Hey, this team just saw you. They've, they've got film on you. They saw you in-game action. That's a good point. Hey, Go prove that you can take them on back-to-back games. I mean, playoffs, you're going to go up against the same team probably four to seven times. So I think this would be a good showcase for Joel Hofer. If I had my oh, preference. Sir Thomas Grice, you got to get him this treatment, though. You just hey. got for David Perron. He's going back to De- to Detroit. Like, he, he needs to get the hey, video treatment. The camera can catch him up in the press box. Go to Thomas Grice. Did you see the video treatment for Billy Husso and Jake Wallman? Yeah, it was, was the first TV timeout, and they just put a picture up there, and Billy Husso and Jake Wallman were like, hey, guys. Thanks. Jake Wallman, former Blues forward, current defenseman for Dude, the Detroit. He teed up a slap shot last night. I'm like, man, you only would have done that on the forward side when we used you. Coming up next, more likely to happen. You give us two scenarios. We'll tell you which one's more likely here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What's more likely to happen? They'll figure it out. BK and Ferrario's most likely to happen. Four three nine 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 six four six is the air comfort service text line for more likely to happen. You give us two scenarios. We will tell you which one is more likely. I will start with this one for you guys. More likely to start the season with the St. Louis Cardinals. Taylor Motter or Alec Burleson? Taylor Motter. For everyone that just missed it on Bally Sports Midwest, this man just made a Arenado type catch right into the rain delay tarp and then flipped his hair backwards. So Taylor Motter knows how to... Uh, to impress Ali Marmal, so I'll say Taylor Motter makes it. I don't think the camera like slowed down and oh, like zoomed in, but I saw like that in slow mo. Like, you know that airflow. Fabio slow mo yeah, that they do yeah. in those so romantic movies. I, that was it. I just saw that. Absolutely, it's Taylor Motter. You can got the flow, can play just about any position in the infield, and he's hitting the crap out of the ball right now. 
And he's better than Paul DeYoung. So, yes, I'd say more likely Taylor Motter. Can I more likely to more likely yours? Give me one sec. Let me answer it first. I think it's more likely that Motter ends up making this team because of Paul DeYoung. If not for the Paul DeYoung situation, I do think Alec Burleson had the better chance. But unfortunately, that Paul DeYoung injury is what's opening up this opportunity for either of them. And Motter's been better in the spring. Eventually, the results have to matter. Taylor Motter is the guy that has taken advantage. Alex, what do you have for Especially because he could play all those infields. No, I was just going to ask. More likely to happen that uh, Taylor Motter makes his team. Everybody on the roster starts growing out their hair like that. Him and Alec Burleson are tough to differentiate if you just see them from behind. (laughs) Yeah. I will be honest with you. Some of these guys. Big frame, big caboose, long hair. They know how to please. I can't picture some of these guys with long hair. Like, I'm trying to picture, like, Goldie with the flow. Goldie flow flow every day of the week. I don't know. Tyler O'Neill. Yeah, that's the next one I was going to bring up was O'Neill with the flow. Like, we need a Taylor Modder day at Bush Stadium where everybody just gets the long hair mullet wig to wear. And we need a cool, catchy phrase. We got to work on that for Modder. You can't Newton Bush like Modder. Yeah. The Mott Man? No. No. I don't know what his... No, that was Jason Mott. Is that his nickname? I don't know, man. All right, I got one for you, fellas. More likely to happen. Jordan Walker remains with the team all season long, or somebody else takes a closing role over Ryan Helsley? Uh, Jordan Walker sticks with the team. I'll start with this one. I think Jordan Walker is very likely to stick with the team. I heard, I heard this the other day. I think Randy brought it up. I thought it was an interesting point. He said, what happens if Jordan Walker starts out the year and has a like massive stroke? Like goes four for his first 50. Does he go down or does he stick with the club? My answer to that would be he just stays. Like, if so you don't do what you did with Dylan Carlson? Correct. You, you stick with the guy unless you feel like you've lost him mentally. If you feel like you've lost him mentally and he needs a reset, then send him down to AAA. Allow him to get like the the lifeboats of going down triple a hit and pitching that's a little easier to go up against but as long as he's still feeling confident and he has his wits about him i think you stick with him no matter what and he's just your starting left fielder for the foreseeable future so i think it's much more likely that you stick with him where would you go with this Devon? i think i would say more likely that walker would be on the team all season along one because i just don't think he's gonna fail or flop when he gets up here but two if helsley had struggles you do have somebody that could really take his spot in Gio, Giovanni Gallegos. I, I, Gio could be a closer in in a pinch. And that's not saying like Dylan Carlson couldn't be a starting outfielder if you sent Walker down. He could be. We've seen it. But I, I just don't see Jordan Walker kind of flopping out of the gate to where you have to even have that conversation. And, and to your point of if he started like 4 or 50, I, I think it just depends on the situation. Is anybody else hitting to where I have to really cut back his playing time and then have him working on stuff? Because I think the best way for him to work on that would be to play. But if, like, Carlson's still performing well, then I would probably send Walker down to AAA to work on things. But I think it's situational. I was going to say more likely with Walker, too. And I I imagine we're going to see some type of video that we saw with Julio Rodriguez last season with the manager pulling him into the office and saying, hey, you're here for the long haul. I think that's what's going to happen with Ollie and Jordan Walker, of telling him, like, hey, you're here. So, guys, more likely to happen. I was having this conversation with a buddy yesterday. Now, I say I'm going to mention this, but let's enjoy Shohei Otani while we see it because it may never happen again. Don't do this, man. But more likely to happen after Otani's done playing baseball, we will see another two-way player in baseball, pitcher and position player, or we will see a two-star athlete again like you saw with uh, Bo Jackson who played football and baseball. I'll start. I I say it's more likely you'll see a two-way player like Shohei Otani. Can I ask a follow-up question? I know, I know, I know. 
It, are we saying a two-way player, the level of Shohei Otani, or just somebody else is capable of doing it? Capable and do of it. doing it n- doesn't necessarily have to be at the level of Otani. Okay, I'll- that is more likely in my opinion. I think somebody can do it. I think the thing that people are missing is how hard it is to be on both tracks at the same time. We've seen this with Mason Wynn. Mason Wynn can pitch. I think Mason Wynn, if you wanted to develop him as both a pitcher and a position player, it would require way more seasoning down in the minors and it would take longer for him to get to the big league level. And then you think about the day-to-day prep work of being prepared as a pitcher and a hitter. Dude, it's just exhausting. The mental drain that it takes on players is almost as tough as the physical drain and the physical drain is crazy difficult. So I think you'll see it. I do not think that we will ever see it at the level of what we're watching right now with Shohei, just like we never thought we would see another Babe Ruth. And it just so happened almost 100 years later, we finally have. So I I think that's more likely. I don't think teams are going to be able or are going to be willing to allow them to play multiple sports. That just feels incredibly unlikely. And typically when you get those young players, they they select one path once they get older. It's rare that you see them stick with those sports as they continue to grow. And I truly believe whether it's in Japan, Korea, uh, Mexico, Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, People are taking notice of what Shohei is doing and they're teaching their kids to be a two-way player so that when this opportunity presents itself, guess what? You're in. And, and that's an interesting point because I, I do agree with you guys. I think it's more likely to see a two-way player, but I don't know if he'll come from the States. I, I think it will come from another country I do too. because I, I think it was Ken Rosenthal that said on the broadcast that Otani almost came over as just a hitter. And then they convinced At 17 him. 17 or something. Yeah. He, he was trying to do something that had never been done before. And, and the manager of Japan convinced him, hey, stay here. You can do both. And I think that's where it'll happen. I, I think overseas will be more lenience towards it because in, in baseball, to be Kay's point, is I think we've had this conversation with people that cover the prospects too. Is yes, it may take three years to develop a hitter, for example. Then add on top of three years or four years it takes to develop as a pitcher. And if one skill lacks behind the other, you either abandon it or you have to let this guy sit in the minors for a really long time. So I think if it's going to happen ever again outside of Otani, it's probably going to come from overseas. Somebody asked if Otani was born here in the U.S., would he have had the same opportunity as a two-way player? I don't think so. I, I do because of how special he is as a player. But I think this is part of it is it requires you to be on Shohei Otani's level, both as a hitter and a pitcher, to get that opportunity. You guys see a whole lot of other people that are out here throwing 102 that can hit the ball harder than Mike Trout? I don't. Me on softball. I mean, we're basically talking about do you have Jordan Hicks level ability as a pitcher, both from a velocity perspective and a movement perspective? And then can you hit the ball the way that like Paul Goldschmidt can? If you can be both of those players at once, yeah, you can have that opportunity that Shohei Otani's had. I don't see many of those dudes walking around personally, and that's what makes it so unique what we're witnessing right now with Shohei Otani and why I would be in favor of the Cardinals paying whatever it takes to be Amen. able to get him. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Quick update from the Cardinals game. We mentioned a little bit ago that Taylor Motter has had a good day today. Just had an excellent catch uh, down the third base line as he went into the netting. Alec Burleson, another guy fighting for a roster spot, was able to hit a ground rule double as well. He's needing to continue hitting the ball. He's able to get a little bit going right there. Coming up next, speaking of guys that needed a strong finish to a season, Colton Pareko was one of those when it came to his appeal to the fan base. Is this enough to get you to jump back on board the Colton Pareko bandwagon? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. 
From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. That's Alex Mario. He's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. So Colton Pareko had another nice night last night. He had one moment, Alex, where he's going end to end, deking through the defense. It's impressive. I wish people could have seen what you just did in your deke. You looked like you were doing what's that dance move that the kids do these <laughs> yeah, days? Floss. Yeah, is that what it is? That's what BK just looked like he did. Oh man, just you wait know, till we get YouTube. BK hockey player yeah. over here. Yeah, BK all uh, all sport pro That's over right. here. That's right. That's what they say. He did about make a me. play though that I was salivating at watching last night. I mean, first of all, he just big manned some dude in front of the, his own net. And then went the distance the other way and cross-checked a dude in the back so we can get to the front of the net to score a goal. Like, if that doesn't get you on board with Colton Pareko, I don't know what else he can do. I do think this is the best that I have seen Colton Pareko since the back issue. Since that popped up the first time around, I think the last 10 games, that goes all the way back to the game right before the trade deadline, the day before. Remember, that was one of the best games we've ever seen him play. Mm I think these last 10 games, you could make an argument, have been as well as Colton Pareko has played since that back injury took place. He's averaging about 22 minutes a night. Despite the fact that the Blues have not been particularly good in this stretch, when he's on the ice at 5-on-5, they are a plus one. He has four points in this stretch. We know his game is not going to be posting a bunch of offensive numbers. I think he's been pretty darn good. And the reason I wanted to bring this up today, Alex, is because... There were a lot of people, us included at times, where we said, you know what? It might just be best for the Blues to get out of this contract. Six and a half million dollars, eight years. It's a lot of money over a lot of years. And if you don't think he is a legitimate, at least top pairing defenseman, that could be a contract that sinks you whenever this team is ready to contend again. Has this 10 game stretch changed your mind at all? I know you were already on board with Colton Pareko, but has it pushed you even further yeah. on that direction? It solidified my my opinion on Colton Pareko. If he's not playing like a top, a number one defenseman in the NHL, but he's playing like a top defenseman on the Blues right now. And his play is showcasing it. He's using the body more. He's defending the front of the net better. He's basically taking command on the ice more. And this this is a tinfoil theory. I, I truly believe the trade rumors leaked into Colton Pareko, and Colton Pareko saw that and said, I need to change my game. And I don't know that to be true. Never talked to him about it. Would love to talk to him about it. But his game shifted from that San Jose Sharks game. And we remember, leading up to that game prior to the trade deadline, it was Colton Pareko is going to be traded to Calgary. He's going to be traded to Ottawa. He's going to be traded to Toronto. And, and he's played outstanding ever since. 
He's taking command on the ice and he's skating the puck. He's not delegating it to other players. That's what a top defenseman on a team does. He says, I'm the captain now and I'm going to skate the puck. He's shooting more. He's hitting more. And I I just think he's more dominant on the ice overall. And you need that. So my stance is firm still of the right side of my defense is solidified next season. I got to figure out the left side. For me, it hasn't changed a whole lot still. I, I If I got the right offer Hater. in the offseason, oh, yeah. You just must uh, not be watching great hockey. I, I'm not, uh, but I, uh, I, I look at it and I say, look, it's just the 10 games that we just talked about. That's a very small sample size. And I, we have talked about Pareko being a, if you want to call it an issue, or underperforming for the last, what, two, three years. I'm not going to buy in after 10 games. I, I think when I look at Colton Pareko, if he continues to play this way up until the end of the season, I still would have the conversations if I was Doug Armstrong saying, hey, if we got the right offer, shall we pull the trigger? And my answer to that would be yes. It's more cap flexibility for the remaining years of that contract, and you can try and figure it out because he's not an alpha dog. It's not like I'm trading away the alpha dog. He's the playing number like one. it right now, though. He's playing like it right now, but he's definitely I, – I still don't think he's that guy. So I, I don't feel like I'm trading away a number one defenseman. If we if if they keep him through the offseason, which I think they will, but I would still say if you got the right offer, the godfather offer, I would trade him. I, I would say if he plays like this for a full season, then yes, then the conversation completely changes. But I'm not going to buy in after 10 games or 23 games by the time we end this season when I've talked about the last two, three years of him underperforming. Just like with Lars Newbar, for example, I didn't buy into just his second half because it was a second half. I would not buy into him being the starting outfielder, and we'll see if I'm right or wrong on that guy too. Somebody on the text line says, guys, I do think it's a fair question to ask of why did he only start playing this way once the game stopped mattered? That is a totally reasonable response to this. He has performed better when the games are no longer important when it comes to the standings. Is that a question that I have about Colton Pareko? You bet your ass it is. Is it fair to have Tanner's opinion on this where it's like, hey, if you got a good offer on him, not even a godfather offer, just a good one to get rid of the contract from your books, should you move on from him? I get it. I understand why you would. I think I'm leaning more towards Alex's side today than I was at the trade deadline, and this is why. Because when you show you can do this over a 10-game stretch, it shows you're capable of being a legitimate top pairing defensively. I don't think he's a number one defenseman. I don't think he's ever going to be a number one defenseman. I think it was unreasonable to ever have those expectations. I think it was unfair, honestly, that that was placed upon him because Petro left. But can he be a quality top pairing defenseman on a quality team? I think what we've seen in the last 10 games indicates the answer to that question is yes. And so I want to build around that not remove it from my team where I'm then going to immediately have to turn around and find somebody that plays the same role that Colton Pareko does. That's going to be tough to do. So I'm okay with it for now. I want to see more of it. The rest of the season, this continues to be an evaluation period for him. And I think next year is a big year for Colton Pareko. If he ends up making, he doubles down on this and he finishes out strong and then next year plays really well. All right. I think that's when we can all be on the same page of Colton Pareko is somebody that you are now building around. He's not the only guy though. That's turned some heads, Alex. Absolutely. Can we talk about Colton or uh, Marco Scandella? Oh, I thought we were going to talk about Tory Krug. Nope. Marco Scandella in his last seven games now has played an average of 20 minutes a night. He has two points, no big deal, plus seven on the ice. He has been at least even or a positive in each of his last nine games since returning from injury. And in his last seven, he's played at least 17 minutes every single night. He's played at least 20 minutes in five of those seven games. 
are we seeing a guy that should get opportunities down the stretch of getting back with Colton Pareko? And are we seeing a guy who, if the Blues decide to make some moves on the left side defensively next year, he could be somebody that ends up taking on a bigger role for the Blues? Absolutely. Uh, And this is so crazy to be talking because... Last season, we were discussing how do you just move on from Marco Scandella? And frankly, we were talking about it at the beginning of the season because of the injury. But he's playing now the way he played in the first 20 games when the Blues acquired him when Jay Bomeister went down. He's performing like a top four defenseman, and that's the role he's playing. And he's been one of your best penalty killers. He's been a shutdown defenseman. And if you look at it, and I know people hate the plus minus when you bring it up, but I mean, he's had like a string of eight, nine games where he has not been a minus. So he's not been on the ice for goals against. Um, I was thinking of this last night. First of all, yes, Marco Scandella needs to be playing with Colton Pareko because I think that's your shutdown duo. But I was also looking at this saying, okay, let's plot out best case scenario for your defense for next season. Like if you can make trades and nobody says no to it, my right side is set. I would have Marco Scandella and Colton Pareko as a pair. I think Nick Letty has his moments when he's good, but Nick Letty shouldn't be playing 23, 24 minutes a night with Colton Pareko. He should be playing probably third pairing minutes. And then I look at this and say, who's playing with Justin Falk in my top four? Because I can find a way maybe to move on and make some cap flexibility. I'm sorry, what'd you say? I couldn't. I Mackenzie Weger would be oh, my guy. Sorry, yeah. you sneezed that was... and I couldn't hear. That's that's where I was going. I would love a Mackenzie Weger. Nicholas Haig. See, I was, God bless me, right? Sorry, I popped out there. But. Find a left-handed defenseman to play with Justin Falk, who could be in the top four. And it's not beautiful. It's not the best top six in the NHL. But what it is, is it's consistency. Because Pareko and Scandella can be your defensive pair. Falk and whomever, maybe it's Scott Perunovich, can be your offensive pair. And then you've got a third pair of a Tyler Tucker and a um, Nick Letty. And then Robert Portuzo is your seventh defenseman. That's a good setup for consistency next season. And all of that plays around Marco Scandella. And guess what? If he plays well next year and your team is still struggling in the retool, then you could flip that for assets. And that could probably garner you a second round draft pick. See, I think that you've got five of your top 60 going into next year. I think that I would go into the season. This is my own personal belief on it with Scandella and Pareko as your pairing. I would go into the season with Tucker and Perunovic as your third pairing defensively. And then I have Falk as well. I don't know who his pairing partner is right now. I would try this offseason to trade Tory Krug. I would try this offseason to trade Nick Letty. Those are the two contracts that I would try to remove from the books. That adds about $10 million in cap space. It's not really the important part. It's really about the flexibility that it gives you in the long term, not the short term. And then I would try to find somebody that can come in here defensively and shore up the left side. Now, that might just mean they go out and get a... Uh, Scott Mayfield type, get him on a short term deal, low money, not locking yourself into anything long term. Maybe it's a Nicholas Haig. Maybe it ends up being a McKenzie Weger. You've got options whenever you go about it this way. You could either set it up for this year, a potential another guy that's similar to Kapanen and Verona. A one year trial. Let's see what it looks like. Maybe their long term answer. Maybe they flip at the deadline or maybe this ends up being something where they say uh, we're going to add something for the long haul kind of more similar to the Pavel Buchnevich trade, and they add him to the core mix of players that's going to be around for the next five years. That's the way that I would approach it. I think Marco Scandella, his performance has made it even more possible for me to feel better about it 
if they decided to move on from Krug and Letty in the offseason. The key to all of this is finding somebody who could be a top four defenseman with Falk. That's the key to all of this because Pareko and Scandella is a top pair probably isn't the best decision, but you know, they can play 20 plus minutes a night and they could be good defensively. You find yourself somebody like, and that's going to be the interesting part with Perunovic because I understand where you're coming from of him being a third pair guy, but the, I, I view it as they're going to give him every opportunity to be a top four defenseman because of his offensive ability. But if you can do that, that, uh, that split where Falk and Perunovic are starting faceoffs in the offensive zone, Pareko and Scandell in the defensive zone, and then however you look at that third pairing defenseman, you want that to be more of the 13, 14, 15 minutes a night that can be sound defensively. Coming up next, right at the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Guys, if you were in prison and this is never the good start to a story, you worked so hard to get out. And the way you did so, of course, is by using a toothbrush that you sharpened into a what shiv? Is it? essentially a shiv. Nice. You dug a tunnel through Whoa. your cell wall. Nice, 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 nice. What would be the first thing that you would want to do? The world is your oyster. You could go anywhere. Where are you heading? As far away as possible. I was going to say uh, somewhere where nobody can find me. Let's assume you're hungry. Where are you heading? Is there anything that's on your to-do list? No. Sad. Does Alex know what I just yeah, asked? Yeah, no. Why would there, <laughs> if, if, if I'm hungry, my first thought if I'm hungry and I just broke out of prison with a shiv is I need to go get somewhere where nobody's going to find me. Okay. Not to go grab a bucket of chicken before I go escape prison. Yeah, I'm kind of with him. I'm on very that one. confused as where you're going with this. I need to get off the radar, man. Yep, that's what I would think too, guys. That's a really smart way to approach this. Unfortunately for two men in Virginia, that wasn't the way that they were thinking. Two Virginia inmates busted out of jail and headed to a local IHOP after oh, using their toothbrush to dig a tunnel through their cell wall on Monday. The prisoners were 37 and 43 years old. And they were indeed captured at the pancake joint. Yikes. Were they wearing, wait, I have, International I have a question. House of Prison, more like it, right, guys? Were they guys? wearing, like, their, uh, were they wearing their, like, jumpsuits? prison jumpsuits? Because that would feel pretty suspicious. So they <laughs> used the toothbrush and a metal object to break their uh, cell wall down. That's they, impressive. Yeah, right? It's, it's crazy impressive it's the like, way that they were able to do this. This is like watching uh, some Shawshank type of stuff. They then used a rebar to break a small hole in the wall and climbed through that said wall. Honestly, you can't put them back into prison after that. Once out of their jail cell, the men scaled the containment wall and made a run for it. They ended up at the IHOP in Hampton, where police arrested them early in the morning hours. They noticed uh, that two, two people that were at the IHOP, of course, uh, noticed the two inmates and called the police. Sheriffs then arrived. Yeah, the first thing you do is fast food. 
If you're hungry, if you're that hungry, and look, I can understand if you just dug yourself out with a toothbrush and a shiv. Man, you get them fluffy pancakes, though. No, man. You got to go grab some fluffy pancakes at a drive-thru or a fast food spot, although you don't have a car, maybe walk through. Go get fast food and then get off the map. Honestly, toughen up and get through your hunger and get further away. Suck it up and get off the radar before you get hungry. I just, like, picture them, like, sitting there, sipping on their coffee, and then they see the sheriff's car, like, pull up and go, Oh, crap, how did they know we were here? How were they paying for that? It's a fair question. I guess they were just going to eat and run. Didn't get to the bill. <laughs> yeah, they didn't get that far. <laughs> they, technically, they got a free meal, though. Good for them. If you were in jail for life, like if you had life in prison, I will say this is probably worth it. Just like, go in and get. I would not, like, IHOP wouldn't be my particular choice, but, I mean, you know you're not getting anywhere anyways. You're probably not going to well, be able to actually good, get away with this. If you're good. If, you're, if, if you break out of prison with the shiv, you should be smart enough to get off the radar fast enough. I would think so, too. I don't know, I, I man. I picture BK, like, somehow getting through all that, and they go, oh, man, I got to climb this oh, big wall. Man. Well, that's the problem is that they really, clearly, they thought through what, what their saying. plan was to get out of this. They didn't think through, oh, yes, we're out. Now what? You know what? It's this- like the dog that catches the... Oh, yeah. The squirrel. Yeah. You know what this was? Like, we're... Okay, what do I do now? You had the brains behind the operation, and then you had, like, the muscle. And the problem was the muscle was the one that kept complaining, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. And the brains is like, fine, just to shut you up, let's go grab some food real quick. No, I want IHOP. All right, fine, IHOP, but eat quick, and then you get caught. I feel like the brains was in charge of the get out, and the the muscle was in charge of the, hey, call your boy, he's going to pick us up. They forgot to call their boy. Or the muscle was in charge of grabbing food from the prison and storing it. And he's like, oh, sorry, I ate it before we broke out. So, yeah, moral of the story. Way to go, Ron. They're back in prison. Coming up next, we continue our countdown of the 20 most important Cardinals for 2023 with number five on our list. I was surprised at how high I had this player on my list. I might change it now, given what we've learned in spring training, but we'll discuss him next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. And now, the 20 most important Cardinals for the 2023 season on PK and Ferrario. Number five, Brendan Donovan. Donovan, a base hit in the left center. That will go to the front of the track. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We continue our countdown of the 20 most important Cardinals for 2023 with number five on our list. It is Brendan Donovan, who this time last year was not a part of our conversation about the 20 most important Cardinals for good reason. He came out of nowhere, guys, and then suddenly he finishes the year with an on-base percentage of 395. If you look at his OPS+, plus, which is on a scale of 100, where 100 is exactly league average, and anything above that is that percentage above league average, he was 26% above league average offensively for the Cardinals. He did that with really very little power. In fact, his slugging percentage was below his on-base percentage a year ago. What's changed for him so far in the spring? Well, he's just matched his home run total from last year in spring training, basically. No big deal. He's hitting the ball harder. He went to the same lab down in Louisiana this offseason that both Arenado and Goldie went to last year to be able to add some of that power to their bats as well. 
it's been a great offseason so far from Brendan Donovan. Alex was the low man on him on his list. He had him at number eight, eighth most important Cardinal. T-Bone had him at number five. I had him, had him at number four. Let me explain why I had him so high on my list before we kick things off here, Alex. If you look at the Cardinals lineup, I think they have one obvious candidate to play every day that can be a leadoff hitter. And his name's Brendan Donovan. He does everything that you would want your prototypical leadoff hitter to do. He gets on base at an exceptionally high rate. He does not strike out. And he's a guy that is going to bring a little bit of speed on the bases. He does, like, you get a single, uh, you get a single, he could potentially go from first to third. He's that kind of a player. He can steal second if you need him to, especially with these new rules. I think he's that guy for you, and you need that when you've got the middle of the order that the Cardinals have to offer this year. Left-handed bat, obviously huge, and if he didn't play second, and this is before we saw the improved defense from Nolan Gorman in the spring, I didn't know who their starting second baseman was going to be otherwise. So Brendan Donovan, to me, hugely important, both from an offensive and defensive perspective this season. Brendan Donovan at number four on my list, at number five on our overall list of the most important players. Yeah, and just peek behind the curtains why I had him at eight. Uh, I don't hate Brendan Donovan. I just view a lot more bats to be more impactful for this lineup. If you lose Brendan Donovan, you lose an impactful bat, but... I think you can find somebody who can replace that, whether it's Lars Newtbar, whether it's Tommy Edmond for the time being. But if you lose some of the guys that I had above Brennan Donovan, I don't know how you replace that. But overall, for Brennan Donovan, I looked at this and said, best case scenario for him is 2013 Matt Carpenter yep. with more pop uh, I, because he's shown it. And 11 home runs might actually be uh, right where Brennan Donovan's sweet spot is. But the man seems to have found a lot of strength this offseason in spring training. Um, but I look at him as the way I looked at Matt Carpenter that season and where you're talking uh, a North 300 batting average, which seems crazy to say, but Brendan Donovan showcases it, but it's the on-base percentage that you're looking at more so, and it's that upper, the ability to continuously hit doubles. So uh, that's my best-case scenario for Brendan Donovan. Yeah, I had him so high on my list basically for the same reasons BK did. Is I, I don't think the Cardinals have another true leadoff hitter outside of Brendan Donovan. Maybe Lars Newpark could become that guy. We'll see. And then the other one was defensively. I didn't know if they would have anybody that could play second base. Now, Gorman has changed that conversation since we came up with these lists. But I I, I think the best case scenario is kind of what you said. I I think the only thing that you'd like to see a little bit more of in Donovan's game, Donovan's game is just a little bit more slug. And if I had to come up with a list of like three things that I think I've seen the most improvement that I'm actually buying into in spring training, number one on that list would probably be Donovan's power. It, It looks like something that is going to sustain. So I I think you're going to see that slugging percentage go up. I would not be shocked if we see potentially an OPS that's above 800 this year from Brendan Donovan. I I think it's in the realm of possibilities, and it's why I'm so high on him. Who are the best second basemen in the National League? The reason why I ask that is because, like, as you're talking through that, I agree with everything you're saying. Is it possible that Brendan Donovan is a starting, or maybe not even the starting, but a second baseman in the all-star game this well, year. Albies would probably be at the top of the national Jeff league. Jeff McNeil, I think is up McNeil. there among the best. Those are probably the two yeah, that immediately say. come to mind as like, those are the can't miss players in the NL at that specific position. I can't really think of anybody else. Um, Jonathan India with Cincinnati. Yeah. If he has a bounce back season this year, you could argue him as well. Uh, who else could come to the Who's table? Who's the Padres? Chisholm. Chisholm. Oh, yeah, he's he's in most of his games. Isn't that Cronenworth? Or yeah, is he an outfielder now? 
Cronin Cronin Worth Worth. Is probably, so I'm, I think he could be top five second baseman in the National League. And maybe in a couple of years, we could be talking about him being up there. I think what plays into him being one of the best second basemen, because we all know power is sexy, is if he could start hitting more home runs. If you're starting to hit more home runs, or even if you're getting more doubles in games, that's where his name continues to skyrocket up. Yeah, I, I think for him, I, I do think he'll be in the conversation as a top five second baseman. Just because as we clearly were going through, there's not many guys that are elite at that position at the major league level, or at least in the NL. I, I think he could be in that conversation. All-star, it may take a year to where people then start to recognize him, because I think a big year will put Donovan on the map, because I don't think a lot of people outside St. Louis really understand who he is or what his playing style is. But I do think by this time next year, I think he'll be right around this mark on our list. And I think there's the conversation around, hey, he could be an all-star because he can play anywhere on the field. He's going to add a little bit more power to his game. And he's going to have an OPS over 800. Yeah, I best case scenario for Brendan Donovan is I borderline all-star, if not an actual all-star this season for the Cardinals. What's the worst case scenario, guys? Because this is another reason why I had him so high on my list. What he does with his on-base percentage, the number of walks that he draws, I think is such a critical component of his floor, which means that I I really don't see any scenario, and knock on wood, fingers crossed, barring some sort of an injury, I don't think that there's a scenario in which Brendan Donovan is a bad player for the Cardinals this year, where he's a net negative for the Cardinals. His on-base percentage and his walk rate is just that high, where I, I think worst-case scenario, he's like a... 340 on base percentage guy that hits about 240 yeah and doesn't have as much pop as you would like to see and in that scenario he's probably batting ninth for you instead of leadoff but even then he's an asset not a liability to your lineup because he is that left-handed bat for you yeah i I mean i'm with you there i guess worst case scenario though is that's not the case this season that that falls away and maybe it was just last season being the rookie where not a lot of people knew about him to where he was so effective and I understand I mean he does recognize pitches so well and what was the conversation last year like it it seems when he's down 0-2 he treats it like it's a 3-1 and he still finds ways to work his way uh, to a a favorable count but worst case scenario for him is all of that disappears and it was just that rookie season that was there for you maybe he looks overwhelmed at the plate maybe he's not able to recognize those pitches a little bit more maybe there's more tape on Brendan Donovan would be worst case scenario I, I think the worst case scenario and I can't remember who wrote the article for fan graphs but it talked about how patient a hitter he is is that that patience leads to less walks because teams start to really attack him in the zone and if that OBP comes down and then I add on top of it maybe the slugging isn't for real I think you're talking about a guy that's just kind of a middling player at second base and that's not bad the problem is is I think there's higher hopes for him and that he can be this leadoff guy that's going to be drawing walks and hitting for power and getting doubles and getting singles I, I think the worst case scenario is he doesn't live up to that, and he kind of becomes a guy that's hitting like sixth, seventh in your order, and the Cardinals end up not having a true leadoff hitter. Yeah, I, I, that's the big question is if he doesn't end up being that leadoff guy, who is? And the hope is you've got a little bit of a fail safe with what you're potentially getting there out of Lars Newbar. At number five on our list of the 20 most important Cardinals for 2023, it is indeed Brendan Donovan. By the way, watching the Cardinals game right now, I'm telling you, I'm not sure. Tanner, you mentioned what are the things that have stood out the most to you about the spring training so far? 
Brendan Donovan's power is definitely up there. Nolan Gorman's ability defensively is also up that there. Second, uh, the double play that he just turned was really impressive. That was one of the best plays that I've seen Nolan Gorman make since we've been watching Nolan Gorman with the big league club. That looked like Tommy Edmond turning a double play at second base. But with a better arm. Yeah, he, He's got a strong enough arm. He just made an athletic play stretching to his right where he's able to immediately grab the tub- double play ball and then like jumps over the second base bag. And while his momentum is carrying him towards the third base side of second, He's able to throw it the other direction and and ends up getting out a runner that has a little bit of speed. That was super impressive. All right. I did want to discuss the middle infield a bit for just a moment here. Guys, the news on Paul DeYoung has not been positive in terms of his injury. It's extremely likely at this point that he starts the year on the injured list. And I've seen a decent number of people saying, hey, This is how you get Mason Wynn on the roster. He makes your roster better. In fact, I heard the morning show talking about this, and Randy said, are you better with one of the backup utility infielders or Mason Wynn? Well, the answer is obviously Mason Wynn is a better baseball player right now than Taylor Motter. I'm not going to argue otherwise. What? But that's not really the question that needs to be answered here. The question is, what is A, best for for the team, but B, also, what's best for the development of Mason Wynn? Because you're not bringing him up here to get zero playing time as a backup utility infielder that maybe comes in for a defensive replacement late in a game. And also, who's the defensive player that you're replacing late in a game? I guess Brendan Donovan? Are you really doing that? Probably not. Taylor Motter is the one that is most likely, in my opinion, to be the beneficiary of this Paul DeYoung news. Because as we've been mentioning a million different times... Paul DeYoung's role was to sit on the bench with a right-handed bat if you need it late in the game and to potentially play once a week. Taylor Motter can do that. You don't want Mason Wynn in that role. When he's up, you want that dude playing every single day. So for me, I actually think the Paul DeYoung news makes it even less likely that Mason Wynn ends up making this roster. He was already at zero. Now he's at like zero, zero, zero. I I think this is a scenario where you're talking about Alec Burleson versus Taylor Motter. Yeah, I see no scenario to Mason Wynn making this roster for opening day because it doesn't benefit him. And and I know it's a little bit of a different scenario, but the reason Edmundo Sosa made the roster for opening day last year was to be that 26th man. You were the backup shortstop. You'll probably get a couple of reps here because they were fully invested in the Paul DeYoung opportunity at shortstop. That's the same reason why Taylor Motter is going to be on this team because they are fully invested and Tommy Edmond is the shortstop and then a duo of uh, of Donovan and Gorman at second base. There's no opportunity for Mason Wynn. Mason Wynn needs to go be the number one player for the Memphis Redbirds from start to finish of the season. Now, if an injury pops up that's keeping Tommy Edmond out for three to four months, then you call him up. Then Mason Wynn's on your roster. Welcome to the big leagues, kid. His future is tied to three players right now. His immediate future, I should say. Tommy Edmond, Brendan Donovan, Nolan, Nolan Gorman. Gorman. Those are the three. If if Tommy Edmond goes down, I think you're seeing Mason win. That's the one who's the, the most tied to because Tommy Edmond is your starting shortstop right now. It could also be partially related to at least one of Nolan Gorman or Brendan Donovan. Probably more Donovan than Gorman. If Donovan goes down, I think the immediate replacement is Nolan Gorman. If Donovan and Gorman go down, though, that's where you could potentially see them slide Tommy Edmond over to second. And now you're seeing Mason Wynn get those opportunities at short. But that's the only scenario in which I see early in the season Mason Wynn being a part of this roster. Yeah, that's where I am. If this was Tommy Edmond we were talking about where he can't touch his toes because of his back injury, 
then yeah, I, I think Mason Wynn would be your starting shortstop, probably batting ninth for the St. Louis Cardinals on opening day. But I, I agree with you guys. I, Wynn needs to be down and playing every day. He's not going to get up here. Kind of the same conversation they had with Nolan Gorman last year. Though, although Gorman wasn't impressive in spring, though he has been impressive in spring, he's accelerated his time frame because I don't think they plan on him being a part of this club at all this year until 2024. You can't bring him up here unless he's going to be getting every day at bats. And, and that's just not available right now with the middle infield kind of log jam that you have with three guys that have played pretty well. So you set him down to AAA, let him continue to develop, hit him in like that leadoff spot so he can get as many at bats as possible. That's the best thing for his development. If you had to guess today who makes it, Taylor Motter or Alec Burleson? Taylor I think that's the question. Taylor Motter. I'd go Taylor Motter as well. I think Taylor Motter has already made this roster, and Alec Burleson is the everyday corner outfielder for Memphis. If you had to guess right now, does Juan Yepes or Alec Burleson make this roster? Juan Yepes. I think that's a more more interesting discussion, and I know that sounds weird to some people, but Alec, Juan Yepes has not had a good spring so far. I lean towards Juan Yepes, but I have not heard them rave about Juan Yepes. That's because which, there's nothing to rave about. He's hitting 210 with no power, really. I know, but what, what I meant by that is, like, Burleson's not really hitting at all. I was going to say, neither but, of them, there's nothing to rave about. But when I read the paper in the morning, as the old man I am, I do see Ollie quotes saying Burleson's hitting the ball hard, or you know it's it's just bad luck right now. Well, who I've not heard that about is Juan Yepes. So I do give Yepes the edge, but I am questioning it more as we get to the end of spring training. Who 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 do you want if an injury pops up for the outfield to be playing? Burleson I, or Yepes? I think that's different though because then I'm making different decisions. Uh, understandable, but if, if you get to that, the reason I'm saying that is because Juan Yepes is a glorified DH. Burleson, they do look at as he could be a corner outfielder for us. I I also think, and I know this sounds weird, Taylor Motter makes it less important to have Juan Yepes on your roster. Because Taylor Motter does all of the things, at least defensively, he plays all of the positions that Juan Yepes can. And if you've got the four outfielders, because you're bringing Jordan Walker up to your big league roster, you don't need Juan Yepes to play in the outfield. Maybe you just want that extra left-handed bat off of your bench with Alec Burleson. If, if, If you end up bringing Taylor Motter with you, I could see how they could convince themselves that it's Alec Burleson over Juan Yepes. And then your everyday DH in this scenario is just Nolan Gorman. And you've got a left-handed bat coming off of the bench in Alec Burleson. And he probably pinch hits late for you in certain situations. Um, that that would be my guess. If I had to guess today, I would say it's Modder and Burleson over Juan Yepes. Um, but I think that's the decision point now. I, I think Walker's going to make it. And I don't think DeYoung's going to start the season with the team. Mason Wynn is not either. Coming up next, we'll get into some NFL quick hitters here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Quick hitters alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. I don't do this very often. I like to have control of this show oh, and all distribute it where we need to go. But Alex, what do you have for us today to kick things off with NFL quick hitters? My Guys, man? I am very confused by the Cincinnati Bengals. Okay. Speaking of one, uh, Jonah Williams, the left tackle, because of course the Bengals were in the news when they signed Orlando Brown uh, because they said, you know what? Our offensive line has been a problem over these last couple of years. Let's go out there and get an Orlando Brown and stack this O-line for Joe Burrow. Well, now uh, Jonah Williams is very upset because he wants to be traded because they signed an offensive tackle in Orlando Brown. I don't get this. 
Yeah, you, you brought in Orlando Brown, but correct me if I'm wrong here, BK. Orlando Brown used to be a right tackle and played left tackle for the Kansas City Chiefs right. because that was a need. Um, everywhere is a need for the Cincinnati Bengals. Why can't we all just get along in harmony and say, you know what? I'll be a right tackle. You be a left tackle and let's dominate the NFL together. I think that's the right way to go about it. You said you requested a trade, right? Yeah. Yeah, just a request. You know, <laughs> just a request. He's like, oh, you know what? You can't trade yeah. me. Ah, no big deal, Cincinnati. I'll show up and yeah. I'll be happy. This isn't the DJ where you go up there, you give him a dollar and he has to play your song. No, no. <laughs> this is just a request. This is like when I say, BK, I'd like to open with this. And BK goes, that's a request. And we're going to say no. And we're going to go here. And I go, yes, sir. Uh, so I don't think you trade him. I, I think you just say, that's cute. And we're, you're just going to be here. Or you do the classic, oh, yeah, we're working on it, man. We are trying our hardest to trade you, just not getting the package we want. But we'll see you in training camp. It is funny. I, do it. I, I don't know that this is as big of an upgrade as a lot of Bengals fans are making it out to be. I think Orlando Brown Jr. is a perfectly solid left tackle. Signing him for $16 million a year is a smart move by the Cincinnati Bengals. I think this was a good decision Absolutely. by them. Absolutely. I think it is a slight upgrade over Jonah Williams, and I think it's a significant upgrade over what Jonah Williams was last year where he was dealing with a lot of injuries and he was not the same player for them. But I would take it the same approach as T-Bone just said. Jonah Williams, right now you're a starting right tackle. If something changes, we'll let you know. But as of today, that's where we expect you to be on opening day because we finally fixed the offensive line. Yeah, We finally have more guys than we need going into the season. And that's been a problem for them since the day that Joe Burrow arrived. So if I'm them, I'm not I'm not honoring this request. You can hope that you get traded all you want. You got one year left on your contract. You're going to play for us this year. Just like I would have taken that task with a lot of the other players around the league where it's like, yeah, you want to leave? Cool. Go suit up. And if you don't want to, that's fine. You can sit out the entire season and not get paid $10 million. Those are your options. Yeah. Like, why can't we all just get along and make the greatest offensive line in the NFL this season? Yeah, I, I find it to be a little strange. Joe the whole situation with him. I, I think he was blindsided by this, and I don't blame him because the, the Bengals were apparently surprised that Orlando Brown Jr.'s market was what it was. He called the Bengals. Oh, Orlando Brown Jr., I've got a lot of thoughts on this, as you can probably yeah, I imagine. I saw that uh, he turned down, what, 29 mil per year for 16 mil per year? He completely misjudged what his market was. Good and job. He, he missed out on probably $30, $40 million on this next contract because of what he decided to do. So that's neither here nor there. His misjudgment of the market is what has affected Jonah Williams here. All right, as we continue here with some NFL quick hitters. Guys, Cam Newton threw more than 30 passes at the Auburn Pro Day. He had a Instagram post the other day saying that there is no way there are 32 quarterbacks better than me. Do you think that Cam Newton will eventually get another job in the NFL? He's no. not played since 2021. No, I don't. I think when Bill Belichick gives you an opportunity, that's probably the last straw if you don't have success. And I'll be it. I mean, he wasn't. I've seen worse quarterbacks than Cam Newton play games in the NFL, but no, you're not going to get a starting opportunity. Maybe you get a backup role, but I don't see him getting a starting opportunity this season or any season. Yeah, I, I don't. I definitely don't think he's getting a starting role, and I, I don't know about the backup role because it feels kind of late into the offseason to do so. Because you know who would make a ton of sense to sign Cam Newton if he if, Carolina. If this was a <laughs> no, but uh, <laughs> uh, Baltimore. If you didn't have Huntley back there, Cam Newton would be like the perfect backup quarterback. Yeah. He could run that that offense. But I, I just think at this point it is so late, quote-unquote, late in the offseason to where I think teams like like the Rams, for example, they are looking for a backup quarterback, among a lot of things. Yeah. 
but I think they're just going to draft a guy out of the draft. One, because Newton doesn't fit their system, but two, it's it's probably going to be cheaper than what Cam Newton's looking for. So I, I say no. I, I don't think Newton's going to be back. And the other thing with this, too, is like you make these comments of saying ain't no no way 32 quarterbacks are better than me. Nobody wants you to be a backup because you're going to cause problems because you think you should be the starting quarterback. So I think if he's willing to accept a backup role, and I think that's a really important part there, Alex, I think he should be a backup somewhere. I think he's good enough to be that. The problem is you've got to have him in a situation where he plays similarly to the starter. And the reason why I say this is because teams don't want to completely overhaul their offense if their backup quarterback is in or if they need to use him for a series within a game. That's why, like, Daniel Jones, you know whose backup is? Tyrod Taylor. They play pretty similarly. Uh, If you go to Philadelphia, guess who the backup is right now for Jalen Hurts? They just signed Marcus Mariota. Why? Because they both have the ability to run. You could run a similar offense, not to the same degree. Nobody would argue that Mariota is going to run it as well as Jalen Hurts does, but they're like on that same spectrum of the types of players that you're trying to utilize there. It's where it gets really tough is the guys that play the style that Cam Newton is, they mostly have their backup quarterbacks at this point. So, I don't see a spot for him. Who's the backup right now in Buffalo? Kyle Allen? Maybe that would be a spot that would be interesting. Josh Allen plays the same way that Cam Newton did. Back up in Pittsburgh. Still Trubisky? Yeah, but he doesn't play that style. You know, I I just don't see an obvious landing spot for Cam Newton. Even if I think he's better than some of the guys that are currently backups, I don't don't see a good place for him to land. Cam Newton to the XFL. Oh, uh, one team. One team that I think could, could make sense if you're looking for just a stopgap starting quarterback that could take a chance. And I don't think they've signed anybody. Would be the Cardinals. I mean, what do they got to lose? Bring in that's Cam true. Newton. Honestly, that's a really deal. good point. I mean, Kyler's probably out for the whole season, so why not just bring him in, see what you get, you build up his market for him. I, I, they maybe they are the team that could do that, and they just hired the Eagles. Uh, who was it, DC or OC? Jonathan Gannon? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe that's it, but we'll see. What about who's the Texans' backup? Because whoever you're drafting is going to be playing. Davis Mills. Oh, yeah. So that would be their backup. All right. Final thing here as we go through some NFL quick hitters on 101 ESPN. Alex, I know that we've all got some takes on who's going to go number one overall. Today was C.J. Stroud's pro day. The Carolina Panthers, I believe, sent their entire organization, basically, is the way that they operated uh, to C.J. Stroud's pro day. There were some comments yesterday from Thomas Davis, previously a linebacker for the Carolina Panthers, was with the organization for a number of years. He now works for NFL Network. They were talking about who the Carolina Panthers should and will take at the number one overall pick. Daniel Jeremiah said, I think it's going to be Bryce Young. That's who he had going number one overall in his most recent mock draft thomas davis said quote it's going to be a very very surprising pick he then went on to say that he believes there are a number of people within the organization that are very high on anthony richardson oh geez guys if you had to place a bet today who do you think ends up going number one overall i I, and maybe as a secondary to that who do you think should go number one overall? okay should be i believe it's cj stroud C.J. Stroud, I think, matches the mold of what the Panthers are trying to work with right now. If I had to put money down on it, it would be Bryce Young because I just think the sexiness of, oh, he's the best overall talent in this draft is going to lead the Carolina Panthers to say we're taking Bryce Young. Maybe I'm just so out on Anthony Richardson. I just don't. I think that's going to be a mistake. Like you traded up for the first overall pick. You should be taking CJ Stroud or Bryce Young. And I don't think Bryce Young is that guy. So I would prefer them to take CJ Stroud. 
I, I would put money on Stroud. I, I think there seems to be all kinds of momentum of them taking him number one overall. I the, the player that I would take if I had the number one pick, I would do Bryce Young. I, I think Bryce Young is going to be an absolute stud in the NFL. I, I don't think you're going to go wrong. And I understand some people doubt his size. I, I don't think that's going to be an issue. I think he's athletic enough. I think he's smart enough to where he can get a, away from that. I, I, I think that Bryce Young would be who I would take number one overall. But if I had to put money down on it, I think it would be Stroud. And to your point on Richardson, yeah, I I just think he's so going to be a bust. I, I really do. I like Anthony Richardson. I would not take him number one overall. I would take C.J. Stroud number one overall. He right now is the betting favorite to be the number one overall pick at minus 150, which means you have to bet $150 to win $100. Then it's Bryce Young at plus 150, and then Anthony Richardson at 6-1. to one. Vegas tells you that they believe it's going to be one of C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young, basically. I would go with C.J. Stroud. I think that's going to be the pick. It's who I would also make. The number two pick, I think, is going to be Bryce Young going to the Texans. And then it gets super interesting at number three. And that's where I could see the Colts saying, we're placing a big bet. We're moving up. We're getting Anthony Richardson. See, I saw Mel Kuyper's mock draft today, and they had Will Levis going to the Colts. I'm trading up. And that's where that's what I think is going to happen. And Anthony Richardson is going to fall to somebody that you didn't expect him to. Yakub Verana has been a (laughs) pleasant surprise so far for the St. Louis Blues. How good could he be next year? A former or a current rather Detroit Red Wings beat writer said, ah, you might be able to expect 35 goals out of him. Who buddy. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. into the season, almost all of us had us penciled in, Verona penciled in as a, uh, perhaps a 30 to a 35 goal scorer. I mean, he is a dynamic player and he gets a lot of scoring chances, but um, I know some of the players we've talked to him this week and you know, in particular, um, you know, Kubalek, uh, who was one of his buddies in Detroit, he said that you know, it was almost a relief uh, that he got traded. Now he is going to get that fresh start and I know everyone's rooting for him. That was Kevin Allen, who covers the Detroit Red Wings, on with Alex Ferrario on the pregame show yesterday, talking about Jakub Verana, who has been a pleasant surprise thus far in his short period with the St. Louis Blues since arriving at the trade deadline. Alex, I think it's fair to say that, you know, 30 goals somewhere thereabout is the expectation for Jakub Verana because he's a natural born scorer. We've already seen that so far. I think last night, Craig Berube said after the game, hey, our guys just aren't shooting enough. We're passing up way too many shots. The only guy that feels like he has uh, any sort of shot making and shot creating ability right now is Jakub Verana, and he's been doing that thus far. If you look at what he's done since the start of the 2018 season, he's scored 87 goals in 240 games. Now, big disclaimer here. He's missed a lot of games for a variety of different reasons that we don't have to go through. We've talked about that in the past. His average, though, per season, Alex, is about 30 goals and 55 points. What do you think is reasonable to expect out of Jakub Verana as a either short or long-term member of the Blues? I I believe Kevin Allen nailed it there. 30 goals. And it is should be a expectation for a player of that ilk. So since March 7th with the Blues, uh, in a total of eight games, Jakub Verana has 28 shots on goal. And that ranks 21st among NHL players in that time frame. Wow. So the, the guy just shoots. He finished the game last night with five shots on goal. 
And we've seen the ability to score goals. He's got a one-timer that you can use on the power play. He's quick with his wrist shot. And he goes to the front of the net and can get those rebound opportunities. So I don't believe it's out of the realm of possibility. If he stays healthy and everything goes his direction, you're looking at somebody who can score 30 goals for you next season. I I think I could see that for him as well. About 25 to 30 goals is, I think, where I would expect Jakub Rana to be. I mean... To your point, I mean, last night, I just continue to be amazed. Maybe it's just because we, all season long, haven't seen guys shoot the puck. But it feels <laughs> like every time he's on the ice, he's getting a shot off. I mean, he, had, he finished the game with five shots last night. And I felt like, though there are probably times where you do kind of see those defensive lapses, which we have talked about in the past with him, unlike with Jordan Cairo so far this year, who does have the same same defensive lapses, I feel like once the puck gets in the offensive end, I know Vron is going to do something to where either he's a playmaker or he's, I think one of them last night was he's crashing towards the back post Absolutely. and he gets a shot on goal and gets robbed of a goal. Really great opportunity there. I, I just like the fact that he's putting the puck on net. It, it feels kind of like uh, old older school. I don't know if older school is the right word, but it feels more like with Craig Bruby where it's always been we want quantity or we want quality, quality over, over quantity. quantity. Yeah. This feels more like the quantity to where it's like, hey, just get out there. You get the puck, you get a shooting lane. Take it. We know you've got the shot to where you can beat people, and I love that about Verona. He's got the Pete DeBoer mindset, the Ken Hitchcock mindset. Just shoot the puck and something will come of it. And I'm glad you brought up the defensive liability because that's also what I asked Kevin Allen. I said, you know, how much of a liability is Verona on the defensive side? Oh, it's severe. Uh, there's no question about it. And, uh, you know, the question is not so much whether he could change because he certainly can't. But the question is, is how much offense does he give up by doing that? You know, I've talked to enough offensive players and say, you know, I got to play that way in order to get that many goals. And that's the intriguing part of Craig Berube's coaching method here, because, you know, Berube does put an emphasis on defense, but he also, and he's made this statement multiple times. I'm not so worried about you focusing on the defensive zone. I'm just worried about you putting the puck in the right position because he wants Cairo to skate and shoot and score. But he also doesn't want him to put the puck in a bad spot, turn it over, and not back check so that you avoid those odd man rushes. That might be the same sense with Yakub Verana, because if you let him go, 35 goals in him. Alex, who was the last Blues player that was like this? Like, Do you have a comparison recently, like a recent memory that's like Verana, where it's great speed, does not add much, really anything, defensively for you. And is a legit like 30 plus goal scorer on an annual basis. People are going to laugh at this because he never really got to this. Oh, and by the way, I should also add this is not a distributor. He is like purely a goal scorer because Kairu, you could say, has some similarities to Verona in Mm -hmm. terms of his playing style, his ability to score. But the difference between Kairu and Verona is Kairu's ability to have that playmaking on the ice as well for you. Verona doesn't really bring that to the table. Robbie Fabry. Robbie Fabry was the guy, speed, ability to score. Now, he never got close to 30 goals. Uh, His best year was that first season when he had 18 goals in 72 games, but that was when he was a rookie. And then in the playoffs, we saw him put 15 points up in 20 games. You're like, probably the closest thing. Damn, this guy's there. And the other one, and he never lived up to the expectation, was Ty Ratty when they drafted him because Ty Ratty was a guy who put up like 150 points in junior hockey. But yeah, I would say Robbie Fabry. But see, the difference between Fabry and Verona is... Fabry was never this pure of a goal scorer. He was kind of an all-around player that had the offensive ability. Verona is an elite goal scorer with the shot and the quality that he has. I told you guys in the uh, in the office, the perfect comp that I see with Verona, and defensively there's still some growth there, but it's Tyler Toffoli. Tyler Toffoli won a Stanley Cup with the LA Kings as a complimentary piece, and then he just continued to, to mold himself. And now, he, I mean, when healthy, consistently a 30-goal scorer. 
Who do you think is more likely to be a long-term member of the Blues? Jakub Verana or Kasperi Kapanen? I would say Kasperi Kapanen because Barubi, he mentioned it in, in pregame yesterday, he f- didn't realize how good of a defensive player Kapanen is. If Barubi's the head coach moving forward, uh, I would say that Verana, if he is the 30-goal scorer, might price himself out of St. Louis. And Kapanen would be a guy that they'd look at and say, hey, we might be able to get a steal with this player because Kapanen's got the ability to score 15 to 20 goals for you also. I should also add this. I think the closest comp is probably Mike Kaufman. Now, it did not work in St. Louis for Mike Kaufman. Yeah. But if you're just looking skill set wise, what the Blues thought they were signing when they get, got Mike Kaufman, that's probably the closest thing that we've seen. T-Bone, who do you think is more likely between Kapanen and Verona to be here long term? I think Kapanen as well, just because I think he has a more all-around game. He, now, I don't think he's a 30-goal scorer, for se, but I think we mentioned this the other day. He's willing to throw the body around. It reminds me a little bit kind of Perron-esque. And I think when you talk about Verona, my my other question for that would be, can you have two guys that are defensive lapses in Cairo and Verona on the roster if you're going to be a good team? It's one thing to have them like this year, for example, because – you're out of the playoff picture. Now it's just kind of evaluation mode, taking guys that are looking for that kind of that last hope. Hey, you're either going to sink or you're going to swim or you're out of the NHL. So this year you can do it. But as you get into this new phase of blues hockey, can you have two guys that kind of have the same skill set? Maybe you can, maybe you can't. And that's why I would lean towards Kapanen. I'm going with Verona and here's the reason why, because I think this team needs more guys like this that are just natural born scores. Right now, you have so many different playmakers, so many different creators, and I don't think you have enough guys that you're just like, you know what, that dude is going to put the puck in the back of the net. And it was a problem for them all season long. Now that Verona's here, I do think there's a real chance that, like, as much as he might not be a Craig Berube-style player, I think he is definitely a Doug Armstrong type of a player. I think Army's going to see this. He's going to see the skill set. He's going to see the speed. He's going to see the goal scoring. He's going to say, that's a guy I want to be backing. He was always the biggest advocate, Doug Armstrong was, for Vladimir Tarasenko. You're not going to find a bigger fan of Vladimir Tarasenko than Doug Armstrong was. And obviously, they're not identical players, but that goal-scoring ability, man, that plays. And if you can score 30 goals next year, I think I think Doug Armstrong will do what he can to be able to bring uh, Jakub Verana back into it the It seems bowl. weird to say, but if you choose Jakub Verana, you might be choosing him over Pavel Buchnevich. And I would not do that. But the reason why I'm not sure I agree and I don't know if this is fair or not, but I do think it's something that has to be brought up with Verona. The off-ice stuff, I think there's a chance that he looks around and says, I have something good here. This is the best spot for me. I, I, I Maybe I'm leaving a little bit of money on the table. I don't want to mess up something that has clearly gotten my career back on track. I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and sign up for more of this good thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm going to live with whatever, the, whatever comes and out of it. And if you have the ability and believe in the depth system in terms of your defense to where maybe Perunovic can step up, maybe you got a couple of younger players that can be assets for you moving forward, and you're able to move on from one of your defensemen, maybe you don't go spend money on defense and you say, well, we'd rather have the offense right now because Doug Armstrong has talked about it. Like, we're going speed. That is going to be the identity of this team. You need offense and you need speed. And you're right. You do need somebody who can put the puck puck in the net. Coming up next, we're talking about the World Baseball Classic. One of the coolest scenes that we've ever been a part of. World Baseball Classic last night had a perfect ending. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 
Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the bagel loan. Featuring zero fees and zero closing costs. Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. If you missed anything from today's show, be sure to check out the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, and the free 101 ESPN app is where you can go to find it. It is all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Hey, next week, we're going to be broadcasting from the Budweiser Brewhouse inside Ballpark Village on Thursday for opening day for the Cardinals season. We'll be there. The opening drive will be there, and the fast lane will be there. We'll all be broadcasting live next Thursday, March 30th from Ballpark Village. Our opening day coverage is brought to you by Rawlings, Green Envy Lawn Care, and by Budweiser. To finish things out today, I just wanted to give one final thought on the World Baseball Classic, the scene that we were all able to take in last night. Uh, The final at-bat really is going to be what symbolizes what was a fantastic tournament, Alex. You got Shohei Otani against Mike Trout, game on the line, Team USA down by one run, and then Shohei Otani just reminds all of us why he's the best player in the world right now, in my opinion. Yep. I mean, for me, I I comped that final scene to Crosby scoring on Ryan Miller in that 2010 USA versus Canada game. I wasn't as upset as I was when Crosby scored when uh, when Otani got that strikeout, but it, it was the same energy that I felt of looking at those two being the two best players in the game today, going head-to-head in such a meaningful game. I loved every second of it. I loved what you said at the beginning of the show. That will be something that I'll be telling my kids about in five, ten years from now. Yeah, absolutely. Getting the best versus the best, and nonetheless, it'd be teammates that are going up against one another. I said it's only something that you imagined you could only do in MLB The Show. It wasn't something you'd think you'd get (laughs) to see on television or in person if you were lucky enough to be down there in Miami. Hell of a job by Major League Baseball with yeah. that tournament. It was great all all the way around. One of the things that people try to do is under-promise and over-deliver. And for me, the World Baseball Classic was under-promised and over-delivered. It was everything I could have asked for and then some. It was really a, a spectacular showcase baseball should be. All of the energy, all of the excitement, all of the pressure, all of the big-time moments. It It was a great showcase of what this game can be when it's played at an exceptionally high level and how great it can be when you've got all of these different cultures, all of these different backgrounds that are coming together in what is now the world's game in a lot of different ways. Um, So a lot of fun to watch. Be curious to see what that means for a lot of the players that were involved for Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks. And I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll be back tomorrow at 11 a.m. The fast lane's coming up next. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.